Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Real Deal Talk. Uh, now, I'm doing my sound there because people have been asking me to do the sound. And by the way, what's his name? Tra- Kelsey? The Travis Kelsey with, with KC? What is that his name? He's copying my move. My my. If you, did you see the speech he did yesterday with the, the award ceremony? Did you watch this? I didn't. So Travis Kelsey in the crowd started going like, uh, that's he, he took that from me. You know that, right? <laughs> he took it right from me. Yeah. He completely copied me. All right. So anyway, real deal talk, ladies and gentlemen. And we are here with the man, the myth, the legend, Dan Beer. And now that name may sound familiar, and it should, because you probably see him all over the county of San Diego on every billboard. Um, the other day I was driving in traffic. I looked up, and Dan was looking at me from the back of a bus. And I'm being funny, but I'm being dead serious because his advertisement was on the back of the bus with his smiling face. And you got great teeth, by the way, bro. They're looking good. Looking oh. s- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so Dan Beer uh, uh, owns and operates one of the largest real estate organizations in North America. He's with EXP Realty, which has about, what, 90,000 agents or so, Dan? Yeah, just south of that. Okay, give me some, give me some, because there's too many stats for me to remember. All right. For what your team has done. Because I remember, and I met Dan, by the way, he was referred to me by Prem Advani. Yes, you are. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan I think came, I just accidentally referred to myself in the third party, by the way, or the third person. I said, yes, he was. <laughs> I thought you were talking about Prem. Yes, I was. Then you said was. I'm like, wait a minute. You're talking about yourself? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. You're at that level, huh? You're no. at the third person level. No. No. <laughs> All right, so uh, Dan got a game-changing, a posh and lavish latex sleep system, by the way, okay, uh, when he came in. That's how we met. And so this, we're talking years ago, and now I started my podcast last year. You've been on the list, by the way, since day one. Your name has been on my, you know, two, three or 400 people list, um, and it was just a matter of time before I would say, hey, Dan, by the way, you're coming on my podcast. He's like, all right, let's look at look for a date. So I appreciate you coming on, man. I know you're a busy, busy guy. So I appreciate you sharing some of your time with us today. And folks, we're going to get into a lot of real estate stuff today because I know everybody's kind of wondering what's going on with real estate, where we're at, what's going on, what's happening with the market. But of course, as you guys know, we're going to dig into Dan's backstory a little bit. We're going to find out what, how did Dan get to this day? Like, how, We all see him as a successful real estate guy, but what, what did he go through? We want to find out the testimony. So give me some stats here about the beer home team, what's been going on, rattle some stuff off so people can kind of know what, who they're dealing with here. Yeah, man. Well, a lot that we're proud of. We've done over $3 billion in sales here locally um, in San Diego County, a little bit in the Temecula Marietta, but mostly here in the county. And just some fun, fun accolades we've been fortunate enough to have. Probably the one I'm most, uh, most excited about and just really meet, has meant the most has been Inc. 5000 recognizes as one of the best uh, places to work out of any private company around the country. So we're on their best places to work list. Yeah, also, San Diego Business Journal, best places to work. San Diego Business Journal just did an audit of all the top real estate teams in the county, named us the number one team in the county. Um, did have done in our best year over $700 million in sales in, uh, just a single year. And we're, we love what we're doing, man. We've come in, we're at, we're at EXP Realty. Like you mentioned, there's 86,000 agents there. We've come in two years ago as the number one team in the country or in the, in, in uh, North America for them. And then this past year, number three, which we're proud of being number three, not number one, because we were passed up by people that we've been mentoring yes. and helping. And so people in our network, it's really fun to build them up. And most importantly, though, like that's all just kind of the whatever credibility stuff and the, you know, accolades, rah, rah. But what matters is 
what we're doing right here, right? Day to day, we're working with amazing people. So it's a lot of fun, man. And it's good to see what you're doing here with your business and tell me about your business model changes, everything you're doing. So I've been excited to watch it and glad to be here with you. Oh, Dan, I appreciate that, man. Speaking of which, a word from our sponsor, Real Deal Sleep, who is paying the bills here, ladies and gentlemen. So if you're a fan of the show, first and foremost, let me thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in, listening. The, the DMs I'm getting, the feedback I'm getting when I'm in public is absolutely so humbling and means so much to me. I can't tell you enough. I can't hear it enough. If this show is making an impact in your life or it's inspiring you in some way, let me know about it. Post a review. Share it. Thank you again for watching. Real Deal Sleep's paying the bills. So if you want to support the show financially, come down, purchase a mattress, realdealsleep.com. You can book an appointment. We'll set you up with a killer sleep system like Dan's got. Um, you can go to the website, order mattresses, uh, sheets, pillows, mattress, you name it, we've got it. So if you want to support the show um, financially, other than watching, which I appreciate, of course, big time, go ahead and uh, you know uh, come down, do some business with the Real Deal Sleep. So back to you, Dan. All right, Dan, so are you ready now? Let's get into it. Here we go. Let's get go. Let's get going here. All right. So Dan, we saw see like this this hugely successful guy. Let's go back. Where were you born and raised? So I was actually born in Mexico City. Oh, really? Yep, Mexico City. Interesting. I, I was only there for um, three years, and then I was raised in Chula Vista. So between Chula Vista, Bonita, or so I went to Tiffany Elementary School, East Lake Elementary School, just all that's down there, Bonita Vista High School. Um, and so I grew up, I grew up in the, I guess what we call South Bay yeah. here in San Diego, but my, the majority of my extended family is still in Mexico. And that just dates back to all my great grandparents left mostly Eastern Europe and between war times, just fleeing all the chaos that always was going on in Europe, um, they tried making their way to America. The borders were closed and they found themselves, all of them, in Mexico City. That's where all my great-grandparents ended up meeting. And then mm. my grandparents were born there. My parents were born there. I was born there. Now my kids and my two younger siblings were all born here in San Diego. So no but that's kidding. the background. All right. So so your are your parents uh, Mexican? What what's going on here? So they there's no Mexican blood in my family, but we are Mexican, right? So it's just like um, it's they're all they all come from Eastern Europe, mostly from Ukraine, yep. from Lithuania, from Poland, and but they all like I said they all fled. They so they were they found themselves in Mexico City, okay. and that's where they rebuilt their lives. So it's interesting too, just as um, the the Europeans that fled to Mexico. We, if you see our language, for example, I only speak Spanish at the house with my kids. Yeah. You know, Spanish is my language at home with my parents when I was growing wow. up. Um, our food is very much Mexican food. It's we. It's a, it's interesting because unlike people that fled to other parts of the world where they kind of um, kept themselves, like for example, my wife's family fled those same regions, but they actually ended up in China. Hmm. So they ended up in China. She's if you see her, I mean she's you know she's clearly not chinese right but she ended up her family ended up in china in a place called harbin ended up then making their way to shanghai eventually actually she was born in taiwan but her community especially the on in asia they very much kept to these kind of very closed communities in fact they didn't even learn the local languages mm. they lived in these expat communities went to american school systems she speaks english the way like if she was from the midwest right in Mexico, we became very much part of the 
of uh, we became part of Mexico. Yeah. So still naturally, just like in any culture and any country, really anywhere, even here in San Diego, you have pockets of just, you know, people that gravitate towards certain areas. And same thing happened there in Mexico, except for we adopted the language, we adopted the food, we cheer for the soccer, you know, national soccer team, all those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's a it's a really nice kind of fun, interesting part of uh, our background. And I still make my way there. Well, I I hate to say I haven't been back there since the pandemic, which is a shame. Um, But we'll get back to going there 100 percent because we travel all over the place. It just I mean, regardless of all that, we've been traveling nonstop. But we just happen not to have been back there in a couple of years. But traditionally, we've been there every year, you know, so we've got family there all that. Yep already we're already into something here i had no idea i mean how would i know i barely know you so and, and my viewers and listeners know i they love uh watching me get to know my my guests on the fly which is yeah. why when we met in here i, I we started talking when everybody's people start talking to me in the in the what I, let's call it the green room which is my other uh mattress uh office room <laughs> um they start telling me something like, no, no 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 don't tell me anything i don't want to know anything so this is already fascinating um and and you so you speak fluent spanish Oh, yeah. No way. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, all right, so keep going. So let's get back to Bonita Elementary School. Give me the child. Oh, so what made them choose San Diego, or how did they choose San Diego? It was... came right here, right? Yeah, it was um, my, my parents, both of my parents' dads had started, had left Mexico City and started a business in San Diego. Mm. And that was like the long story of it is, you know, in route through Houston and then somehow they ended up in San Diego. They started a business here. Uh, My dad's parents were divorced when he was, I believe, 16. His dad moved here and all of his siblings moved here. He stayed back in Mexico as the one that decided to stay back and take care of mom. And so he did that. Um, his dad didn't like that. You know, there was all the family stuff and I don't even know that I have all the details on it exactly <laughs> by any means, but long, uh, the long of it is eventually he just decides, okay, it's time for us to make a move. See, but let's go back here. This is yeah. actually interesting. Most people don't know this about Mexico. They think of it as a relatively dangerous place now with yes. the cartels and the this Correct. and the that. And, but you go back to like the sixties and seventies when my parents were growing up, my mom who if you knew her today, you wouldn't be able to believe it because she's very careful about everything. The way she'd get around town was hitchhiking. Wow. Mexico City was a beautiful, just it's still beautiful physically. It's a gorgeous city. Um, But it was just safe and like this amazing wide open place, right? Where you could just do anything. And it was an incredible place to be an entrepreneur. I mean, if you set up a little business in Mexico City in like the 60s or 70s, you're going to do well. It it was just a great place. But as you move into the 80s and uh, it starts to deteriorate and the crime starts setting in. And so eventually, whatever it was that was going on, they said, okay, enough of this. Um, I believe it had to do shortly after my grandfather had visited back in Mexico City, was held at gunpoint mm. and robbed and all this. So they're like, all right, we're out of here. And they made the move. That's interesting. You know, my mom lived in Mexico City for 40 years. Oh, no way. Yeah. Like, in, the, in what In, in what the early 90s. Okay, okay. And I visit her there. And all I remember is how corrupt it was, how we got pulled over, the police basically... Um, got money from people driving around. You couldn't drive certain cars because of the smog, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah, they tag your car, and so you have you yeah. can only drive it on certain days of the week and all this. But it's um, it's improved, by the way. And I, I got to say, because this is a while ago. 
it's important that most Americans completely miss out on Mexico City. Yeah. First of all, it's improved. Secondly, do you need to be careful to some degree? Of course. Do you want to, in the totality of Mexico City, go explore every last corner of it? Absolutely not. But you go to the right areas. Most, you know, you have Americans flying across the world over to Europe to experience what's three hours away in Mexico City. If, okay. I, if I blindfolded you, man, and dropped you into certain neighborhoods in Mexico City and told you you were in Paris, you'd believe me. Wow. You'd 100% believe me. You'd believe me from the architecture, from the richness, from the food, from the, it's just beautiful. Wow. It's an amazing place. Um, it is a really good place to go with someone that maybe knows the place. I, I think that enhances it. But I, I don't know. I feel bad for people that shy away from it yeah. because they're missing out on a really just wonderful, rich place. Wow. Um, and I mean, culturally rich, yeah, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's awesome. I wow. love it. I love this take. Yeah. I'm glad we got on that, like you got on that topic right away because you're right. Because um, the, let's say the, uh, the reputation, right? Of Mexico itself right now, especially with Americans is, it's not that good, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I'm glad you, uh, maybe some people are now going to want to visit Mexico city. You may have inspired some people here. Yeah. It's <laughs> the hundred percent want to. Oh yeah. It's, um, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. And it probably, it's probably if you're, if you like to eat, oh, yeah. you go to Mexico city. Wow. I mean, and it, I don't care if you want to go eat Italian food or Japanese, but you're going to eat the best of any cuisine internationally. It's, it's good, man. Okay. So on this note, I'm glad you talked yeah. about this. Because somebody was just telling me this recently, so I want to verify this with you. They said, uh, like, authentic Mexican food is just way healthier than what we portray it to be here. Like, you know the places on the corners everywhere? There's, like, a million, like, grease and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like, it's not like you don't have your... The whole, like, burrito scene yeah. and all that, that's not what they eat there. Um, having said that, is it way healthier? Let's be honest. I mean, Mexico Mexico is one of the most obese uh, countries on the planet. Yeah, right there with the United States and India. Right. Okay. So they, I, I'm not going to subscribe to that. It's um, that it's extremely healthy. Yeah. But I will say that it's very different from what you know than your local taco shop. Right. That's Americanized. It's delicious, but it's Americanized. Um, the thing about Mexican food, which is interesting, it's I, I kind of feel the same way about Italian food in some respects. Like it's amazing food, but when you really get down to it, and you've spent like a week there, two weeks there, a month there, it's kind of the same ingredients, just done different, yeah. right? Yep. It's uh, it's pasta that's long, or it's pasta that's fat, or it's pasta that's filled, and you know Mexican Mexican food tends to get that way. Also, yeah. there's not tons, there's not very many vegetables and. I personally don't eat salads when I'm in Mexico just because it gets washed with the water and you can get sick when you eat salads. Mm. And so I love the food. The, I mean, I'm talking Mexican food. The thing yep. about Mexico City is you yep. can get international food, the best chefs on the planet from wow. every country. They're in Mexico City. But traditional Mexican food, no, man, I'm going to disagree. I don't think it's incredibly healthy at all. <laughs> so, See, I, I got to figure out who told this to me. Because yeah. they said, here we glob cheese on everything. Like we're, you know, there's just mounds yeah, of like yeah. dripping cheese here. So like that's, they were like, that's not the way it is in Mexico. Well, I mean, it's true. You could go, like if we were to go to a nice lunch, we'd probably find ourselves eating steak. Yeah. It wouldn't be bathed in cheese, <laughs> but it'd be a lot of steak and steak and, and maybe some chicken and then a whole bunch more steak. Oh and God. then, uh, 
Yeah, there's not a lot of variety to traditional Mexican yeah. food. All right. So we cleared that up. All right. So let's get back to Benita Elementary. Give me some childhood here. Uh, how many brothers and sisters did you say you had? I have two younger brothers. Yep. Um, they did not go to school down there. They went to school um, up north, literally like the day I graduated high school. My parents moved to Carmel Valley. So they went to Torrey Pines. Ah. I went off to college. Um, it was a great place to grow up, by the way, down there. Yeah. It, it was awesome. I mean, back then, it's just funny how my parents treated them very differently than how I got treated. Like, I would go miles and miles and miles away from home on my bike. It was like everything that's now East Lake was just mounds of dirt. Yeah. And we would go riding our bikes there. We'd go in the canyons. We'd ride our... I would ride my bike all the way from my home in Bonita up through Imperial Beach, up the Strand, and then meet my parents in Coronado for lunch. Wow. And as I was a kid, I was like 10, 12, 11, you know, 11 years old. They by the time my my younger brothers, one of them's four years four years younger than me, the other one's ten years younger than me. Like they weren't even allowed to go like off the block, Isn't right? That crazy. But it was I, I kind of had like that last era of just like Freedom. parents not giving a shit. Yes. You know? <laughs> so is that what it is, or is it just that society they gave just got... a shit? Exactly. Exactly. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Because my childhood was the same way, bro. I I, I rode a BMX bike everywhere in town, ten miles, twenty miles. It didn't matter. That's how I got around. I rode everywhere. And it was, okay, just come home before dark. Right. Right? I'm 10 years further back than you. Yep. But so I'm actually surprised that you were doing that at your young age. Yeah. Like with other kids doing, or were you the. No, definitely. My friends and I all had that. And then our younger brothers did not. Interesting. Yeah. Just sort of. So ended. do you think it's really because they started to give a crap at that point, or because no. things just got less safe? Well, yeah, no, I oversimplified it saying that, you know, not giving a crap. It's, of course, they cared about me, loved me, all right, those yeah, things. It was something changed in the culture. I don't know exactly what it was. I was um, I was in the middle of it. I was probably too young to understand it, right, yeah. in terms of what was actually happening and changing. But that thing where just life had that extra little bit of freedom to it. Yeah. Um, that you might think of like, you know, if you think of kids in like the 50s, 60s, 70s, like it's, that might've ended somewhere around the time I was like 15. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep, like yep. That, around then that went away. Isn't that interesting? Like really interesting. Like I'm wondering. Here's now. something. Hold on. I've not, let me know. Cause you're When's 40 Columbine? Now. I'm mm. curious. When did, I don't know if you can look it up. Spencer, Spencer will know. Columbine. When did Columbine happen? And I'm curious if that coincides with like some uh, of this overprotectiveness that came about. Spencer, when? when 99. 99. There you go. So in 99, I'm, in, I'm a junior in high school. That's it. And it's, I mean, I think that had a lot to do with that could have our culture with changing. I'm sure, I know there, of course, there were tragedies, huge tragedies prior. There's something about Columbine that hit different. Yeah. You know, it hit really different. Yeah. Especially if you look at it in light of like all of the tragedies that are just as big that are happening now that right. get one, I, you know, one shred of the yeah, day or two and like it's gone. nothing. And then we forget about it. Like we had one over the weekend, didn't we? I'm sure we did. I'm, I'm, sure. I mean, I'm sure we, we did. did. That's how it goes now. But Columbine hit different. I, I think that changed. I think that changed our society in a really significant way, including this parenting aspect. You know, this protectiveness. Yeah. yeah. Because now, I mean, I'm, 
my wife and I are very, um, we're very easygoing. We let the kids be kids. We're very famous for people. The kids come to our house because we just let it fly. You can do whatever you want to make a mess. You want to get dirty. You want to bring food upstairs. We don't care. Let it fly. Be a kid. Because we know, Dan, there's going to be time to get serious and you're going to have all the stress of being an adult. It doesn't need to be when you're a kid. That's our outlook. And my point is, I still won't let my daughter walk one block to the bus. Okay. I'm like a wreck. One block. Mm-hmm. I won't even, I have to drive her to the bus stop. Mm-hmm. It's like a block. So yeah. I, I don't know what to, I just, I'm like, cause now look what's been happening up in the, the, the um, up in the area of San Diego North that you've heard about this. There's, there's now been reports of a guy approaching kids, trying to get him into a car. Like this has been happening no. the last two weeks. Really? Yeah. Has he, it happened like three days in a row. So it's all been attempted. He hasn't yes. kidnapped anybody. No, no, but hasn't been successful. But of trying to lure kids into like a van or something or a car, this is just happening. Like <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. Anyway, no, no, I haven't seen it. Wait, right. You said north part of San Diego. Uh, it's up in the. Uh, I don't. I think it's like in the Poway area. I believe not far from where I live. No, that's where my kids go to school. Okay. That's why I think I know about it. Anyway, the point is, um, I, it just is it just because of more awareness? Is it because of? I mean, is society just getting that more twisted these days, or has it always been here? We just didn't know about it. Well, there's—I mean, there's definitely the element of you have, uh, you know, three million residents, right? So three million reporters now with their mm, cameras and phones right. and so on. Yep. There's all that for sure. But yeah, that's—I um, don't know. I think, creeps like the one you just described definitely have always existed. Yes, for sure. Um, but it, yeah, it hits different when you find out it's blocks from where you live. So I'll be making a phone call to my wife as soon as we're out of here. Yeah. It, it was on the news. Like, I think it was almost like two or three days in a row yeah. where there was an attempt at an abduction. Really? Wow. Yeah. All right. So anyway, there uh, you go. okay. We got off on a nice little <laughs> tangent there. This is, this is going to help people though. We're going to more awareness. All right. So going back, riding up the strand, um, give me any, any, did you play sports as a kid? Did you give me your uh, childhood? Give me some significant stuff like coaches or. Yeah, I was uh, like, so my, as a, as a kid, I was, I guess what you'd call, I don't know, troublemaker. Right. So in fact, uh, my friend, I'll give him a shout out. He's entrepreneur here in town, runs a beautiful business. It's called verse verse.io. His name is David tall. Do you know David? I've heard of the name. So David, uh, he was my first friend and only friend when I was a child. And I'm talking like five, six years old. Yeah. And the reason why is I wasn't allowed to go to anyone's house. So literally no one from the school would allow me into their home. Oh, gosh. Because I was the kid that was just going to break something, cause trouble, all those things. And so um, David's mom. Were you a bad influence they considered you? I mean, I don't know. However much a five or six-year-old can be. Right. But so David's mom, uh, I, I was allowed to go to David's. He became my best friend growing up. Your only friend that would accept Half you. the time she would force me to just sit on the sofa and not move. But at least I was allowed to be there and it was, <laughs> it was good. Um, but, what, you know, it's interesting, though, because I grew up with that kind of like thing where I just um, when when you're that kid, you're told you're misbehaving, you're told you're wrong, you're yeah. told you're bad, you're told all these things, right? And so you start to believe like this idea of yourself. Or, you know, there's periods during school where you can't go to class. You just have to go straight and sit in the principal's office before having even done anything. That's just like the automatic, like period three, you just go sit there. Um, that was you. So that was me, all C's, all D's, all F's, all of it. But here's the thing. I didn't really understand. I could like taking myself out to... Uh, like middle school, I remember asking my teacher, I'm like, hey, 
Okay, she gave us the final project. And I said, hey, so how does this affect my college um, standing? Like, whatever I score on this, will that affect where, like, and she's like, no, it doesn't affect you necessarily. You know, it's not until you're in high school does it start to really count for college. And I was like, oh, okay, then, um, so why should I do the project, (laughs) right? Like, it's like, why, why, uh, so I just, like, I couldn't make sense of, doing what she wanted me to do even though it would have no effect on my life yeah. um and so i was just that kind of, i don't know that's just that way my head worked and i was always like mom don't worry when i get to high school i'll be fine i was fine when i got to high i'll turn it up by the way i would not be happy if my kid was doing this because the odds of them actually being fine of like turning a switch <laughs> would not be high but yeah as soon as i was in high school i was like oh so does it count now yet yep okay cool and then it was good that's started getting so, my a's started getting my b's hilarious. Went to college everything was okay but that's um, that's just kind of how I that's just how I was, I and, guess, and as, so, a, as a kid. And so none of the parents, literally, you weren't allowed to come over. Were you just? A, were you just? I uh, mean, five, six years old. By the time I was, you know, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Yes, I had other friends than just David. Um, I was allowed to go to more homes, but that's just um, it, I don't know. There's something about all that, though, because really what it comes down to, if you want to get into like yeah. the business side and success and all yes, that, this is, is what I'm we're leading is up like to. when you're, you know how a lot of people, I'm sure you, when you're doing this podcast, some people have like their, their story, their, their tragedy story, yeah. the thing that, oh my God, I've got to overcome it. And I promised, or, you know, like living up to this thing, my mom, the, all, all these things, like yeah. sometimes heavy events are a driver for people. Right. I don't really have the heavy event. I had a beautiful, like, I had a wonderful family. They treated me beautifully. They love all around, all those things. But the thing that was kind of this, my my quote unquote tragic event, right, that affected me was subtle, but stretched over years, years of, of, you know, being just told things by my teachers. I was the bad kid. You're wrong. You're this. You're a pest. You're that. Oh, and so that subtle, that subtly um, kind of seeped into me. Yeah. And thankfully, I've like what it turned into was, I, and, and now I'm, it's interesting because even though I think it drove a lot of success, what it turned into was, hey, I'm going to prove all these people wrong type of energy. Yep. Um, I'm going to be a really good person. I'm, when I see my parents' friends and that haven't seen me in 10 years and, you know, they see that I'm like good and successful and they're going to be so surprised and blah, blah, blah. It's all these kind of things. But the problem with that is, yes, that drove success, that drove me to want to do well, but that's external motivation. Mm. And that ultimately isn't very healthy. Right. So even though that was a big part of kind of turning me into who I am today, that trying to get away from that or prove all those people wrong, um, now I find that I'm really working, you know, the inner work I do with myself is really more about like, that should not be a driver. Right. That is an unhealthy external motivation. Like that has like, okay, good. It served its purpose. We found the way to turn, you know, find the silver lining or to turn, to respond to something negative in a positive way. Okay, good. But it's done its job now. Now I really need that to just not matter at all. Right. If I won't for from for the for my remaining years, that be as healthy as they should be. And now, did your did your parents tell you that stuff too? Like, hey, you're bad or anything like that? Or was it just your teachers? And no, no, my parents never. Um, they 
they would tell me stories of like how uh, bad I behaved. Yeah. But there was definitely no no question, always love in every communication from my parents. Like I remember, you know, being sent home from school constantly or these different things. Like my parents didn't, you know, hit me, punish me, this, that, or they actually just listened. They understood. They hugged me. They loved me. Like that was like mm. the one good constant probably is probably, I mean, who knows? Maybe that's why I was able to respond to yeah, it positively. Why. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because if they had further stamped it in. Correct. Then I'd be like, all right, fine. And that's my identity. Yeah. Because, I mean, ultimately what that is, is someone um, creating their their, their identity, right? Identity right. is right. so powerful yeah, yeah. in yeah. everything that you're going to do. Um, identity is the reason you're going to be able to kick a habit or not kick a habit or eat well permanently or not eat well permanently. You're going to be the one that just ate well for two days and gave it up because you haven't, you're someone who's on, on a diet. Yep. You're not someone that eats well, which is an identity shift. Yep. Right. So it's a good diet. Yeah. Like yeah. this is who I am versus this is something I'm doing. Yep. Right. It's actually, it's actually interesting. Like, um, and I'll, I mean, stealing this straight out of the book, Atomic Habits from James Clear. I love that book. So he's actually coming to speak at my conference on March 10th and 11th wow. at the Hard Rock Hotel. And so he's, he's speaking at that thing and um, March 10th, March 10th gotcha. and 11th. Yeah. You should come down. I'm, I'm going to be at our church men's conference that weekend. March 10th, 11th. Otherwise I would absolutely be there. So, but he makes a beautiful point in the book, right? It's, it's ask someone when you hear someone say something like, um, you know, I, I quit smoking, right? Hey, hey do you want a cigarette? Oh, no, thanks, man. I, I, I quit. Yep. That person's going to smoke again. Yeah. Versus the person that you say, Hey, would you like a cigarette? And they go, Oh no, thanks. I'm not a smoker. Hmm. I'm not a smoker. That guy is not a smoke. Like that guy is not going to smoke. I, the guy who, oh, no, thanks, I quit, that guy's coming back. Yeah. He hasn't shifted his identity to someone who is not a smoker. Wow. Right? Yep, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. So, yeah, I'm not sure where we're on on that one, but. Um, you were going with the mindset and um, as far as atomic habits and then uh, with, um we were going with the kids, like you as a child, like what happened when you yeah, were growing I mean, up. Yeah, so like, that was just like, if you're looking for who I was back then, that, that was me. I was just yeah. freaking, I was uh, hyper and ADD and this and the other and causing trouble and all that, all relatively harmless, but just making all the adults' lives in my, you know, in my life miserable and hard and all those things and teachers not knowing how to deal with me. And But it's interesting, man. Like now I run in these circles of just really successful people that are building businesses and doing all these, you know, things and helping so many people, employing people just, and they are, they're all just different thinkers, yeah. right? They all just see things differently. Just like I was like, Hey, like, why would I do this project if it doesn't affect my life? Like, I think I'll just not do the project. How do you like that teacher? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so it's, I and love that. I'm sure that didn't go off very well, but it's just, it's, um, it's, it's interesting just even as a dad, right? I have, uh, I have two kids, I have, excuse me, I have, two kids I have three kids the reason I said two is I was trying to tell you I have twins yeah I have twins and then um, five-year-old twins and a nine-year-old boy wow twins are boy girl they're, they're awesome and is it a pain when we find out they didn't do exactly what they were supposed to do and like line up in the perfect line and like be you know not make a noise and do exactly what the teacher said and you know is it a pain when we have to deal with things of course it's a little bit of a pain having said that it makes me happy it makes me happy it's like this kid is what the, what the kid's really doing is fighting to just keep 
like the social norm. He's a he, he's a he, he's not a freaking robot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I like to see his personality. I like to see that he's thinking uh, that he's not just, oh, how should I think? Okay, I guess I'll think that. Right. It's but a lot of people are like that, man. A lot of even in the political world, if you want to just broach that for a quick moment, as dangerous as it is. Sure. But like, I don't care what side you're talking about. Show me some like there's too many people on any side that without knowing, like without even talking to you. Just knowing, like, just tell me, like, oh, you're over there. Okay, cool. Well, I shouldn't know, like, 99% of your thoughts just by knowing that you're, like, more one way or the other. Like, like when regardless of the topic or the issue, I already know exactly how you think before you've said a word, you're not someone that thinks. Yeah. Okay? Like, yeah. you literally do not think if I know what you think before you speak. Yep just because of how you identify versus because if you actually look at a lot of topics without getting any specifics not to get this thing off the rails but you look at a lot of different topics there are top like it's not all a straight line like it it, it's a it it bends right it's circular so that like you get to the extremes of like fascism and communism and like there's similarities right because it actually bends back together so what happens is there's topics that if I had told that same person had been told, oh, no, your party thinks this, then they would think that. Yeah. And you could actually logic your way into, oh, well, of course, the conservatives would think this about this thing because or you could give them the exact opposite and they would believe that, too. Right. Both sides. So it's just the form, I guess, of what got me thinking on that is there's a lot of adults who don't who are you know just still it's it's like this school effect of like you're gonna line up right here you're gonna sit in a row you're gonna do your homework you're gonna go home you're gonna do this this that the other and i don't know what the answer to this by the way is because i'm not saying my kids like shouldn't go to school my kids are in school yeah okay my kids are in school doing the same very stuff and i don't know what the solution is but the adult format of that is now i sit on my side of the aisle and i think all the things my party told me to think yep what we're getting at here, Dan, is programming. Yep. Is programming. And this is the, the name of the podcast, which I've titled it as We Were All Born to Win. And I talk about this a lot. And I love that you're going on this, by the way. We're going to dig deeper on this. We're all born to win, but the problem is we're all programmed to lose. Okay? We're not programmed to be successful entrepreneurs in this country right now. We're being programmed to stay in line, right? To get the job pay your taxes for the rest of your life and die, right? Like you're just saying right now, stay in line over here, do this, do that. Our identity, we're being programmed. It's, you're, um, you're hitting this on the nose here. This is where, and we're going to go on this. friend of mine, Ryan Stuman, calls it the force of average. Mm. So everything in our society is, it's, it's the force, of, the, this force of average pulling you back to average. You know, it's, hey, you, you've changed your business model recently. Hey, are you sure, J- J.D., don't do that. Whoa, whoa. Like, come back over here. Come back to average. Come back to okay. Come back to standing in line. Like, it's the whole, all, everything's pulling you back to that. You're totally right. And then even when I launched this podcast, you know, I have friends, people that are like, oh, what are you doing here? Well, why are you doing that? For what? Hold on a second. This is crazy. Get back and you know, getting back in line. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I just came back from climbing uh, these big volcanoes in Ecuador. Um, 
we were able, we were able to hit one, not the other. We 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 got to the one seventeen thousand two hundred sixty seven feet, nineteen thousand foot volcano. We were we had to turn back because of avalanche danger and wow. all this stuff. It, it was it was it was just really bad conditions. But point is, when you're gonna go do something like that, it's just interesting how many people in your life like you'd think everyone would just be like, man, that's freaking awesome, go. You know, it's like, are you sure? Be like, come back. Be like, it's this force of even from the people that love you the most. It's there's this force back to average, right? And, and now, were you saying this guy was it a book that he wrote for back to average, or was he just talking? No, about it? Um, he's he just talks about it. Yeah, he just talks about it. He, I, he he doesn't have a book that I'm aware of. Because um, the percentages of the population that are like this is, I've studied this. It's like 97 percent of the population is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm get in line be programmed uh we got to do this got to got to got to get married got to have kids got to do this got to got to got to like the, the programming of what we're supposed to do and don't step out of line absolutely do you know what i'm saying 100 percent. it's um it's a it's, fascinating thing yeah yeah yep. Yeah. everyone is you know that's the way it's supposed to work and by the way like i actually look at it and when you look at all the different I don't know, structures that keep people in that. It's, it might be the best way. Like, even though, mm. even though it's, um, for us not to have anarchy, even though I like, you know, in business, for example, when I speak to realtors across the country, a lot of the times what I'll speak to them about, I just, you know, post I put up recently is there's in, in our industry, at least I'm sure it's the same in many other industries. There's so many playing by rules that don't actually exist. Right, they they're they're playing by rules that don't exist. Meaning, uh, the simple the simple example I give realtors is an open house. Okay, what what does an open house look like for you? Well, you're gonna put six signs out on the corner at like twelve fifty five. Run back to the house and you know sweating out of your armpits, and then you're gonna like hold this little open house from one to four with your six signs out on the corner. Well. Show me the show me like where how is it that a million realtors across the country are all doing that exact same thing? Is that the most effective thing? Not even remotely close, but it's the thing that everyone does. Well, why they're playing by rules that don't exist? Instead, well, I say, well, gee, I don't think I want six signs. I think I want sixty signs. Okay, well, how would I get sixty signs out? I would. Why would I put the sixty signs out myself? I would pay someone eighty dollars off of Craigslist to go and put them out. Why would I put them out at twelve fifty five instead of putting them out at nine a m so that I have essentially sixty billboards out for the entire day pushing p- traffic to the house? But Dan, what if someone shows up to the house at ten and it hasn't started? Awesome. Well, why don't I have a sign at the house that says showing today one to four so that they can show up and say, "Oh, I guess it's not on yet. It's on at one. Let me go get some breakfast. I'll come back and now I can actually have traffic at my open house that other realtors wouldn't be getting all because I'm not playing by the same rules that don't exist. And by the way, if you were smart real estate agent, you'd see that by doing things that are different, you'd actually have a different talk track at someone's living room when you're taking the listing to begin with, which might get you more listings, which might get you more business and more open house opportunities that do this and have it snowball over and over. So people are playing by rules that don't exist. Having said that, the danger if everyone, yeah, it, it, you can play by rules that don't exist and make up your own rules so long as you're a responsible human being. Yeah. There's too many people, unfortunately, to where if they all created their own rules, people would be doing some really stupid things, some dangerous things, some illegal things, right? So that's where, like, it 
functions, it works for society to keep all of these uh, structures in place because, hey, we, we can trust, we can, tr you know, I can be trusted to go out and do things within rules that quote unquote don't, ex don't exist, but I'm not breaking laws. I'm being respectful of property. I'm, you know, I'm doing the right thing still. Not everyone would. Right. And then you get anarchy. And you get anarchy. Right. Yeah, so so basically, uh, let we need to you know get used to this, <laughs> <laughs> and make your decision. Do you want to stay in the ninety seven percent of the population who pretty much plays uh, by the rules that that don't exist, uh, as you say, like in the the, the programming of the rules that were supposed. You got to do this. You got to go here. You got to go there. Got to go to school. Get the good grades. Go to college. Got to blah 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 blah. Right. It's like, like look at any really wealthy person. Um, you know, the rules of how someone's supposed to function in their 401k and their this and yep. their that, like not, you know, no one on the fortune 500 is doing that. No, none of them. Right. Like, or in Forbes, I should say on the Forbes list, not one of them did that. No, not but one. They're playing by a different set of rules. They are. Yep. The, so it's funny. I had a guy on here and I'm good. Go, 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 go. There was a guy in here, Jeremy Griffin. He's my number one uh, downloaded podcast by far out of uh, over 50 that I've shot. And he talks about this, how um, how the elite are playing by different rules than we are. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't like playing a rigged game. So his whole business model is around um, living by the elite rules. So he's figured out how to do it. People get upset about it. They do. People get upset about it. Like, um, it... it, it but the act when they're getting upset about it they are acting as if those people are cheating lying or scamming or they, no they're not no they just are they're just not playing by the uh by the set of rules that you well they're not rules yeah. they're just not playing by the by this by, by the by these rules that you've decided to play by they've just simply Everything they're doing is available to you also. Exactly. But you've just stay, stayed in that like really safe lane and never never took the moment to, to learn what these folks are doing. But it's all available. It's 100% of it's available. This is exactly. Anybody. Exactly. So, and, but the problem is it's uncomfortable to step over that line and go to the extra, the, the elite rules and play that game for, on many levels. Uh, number one is the the fear of failure, right? Because uh, when you go for it, because there are there is some risks involved when you start stepping into that zone, right? So you got fear of failure, but then you also have the fear of what everybody's going to think about you, right? So everybody's the what crabs in the bucket we call it. All the crabs are in a bucket. When one crab tries to go out, the crabs pull it back in, <laughs> right? Yep, yep. Crabs in a bucket. That's yes. what it is. We're all crabs in a bucket. Mm-hmm. Like you said, when they're your friends, you go to, you think they go, oh, yeah, go, man, go climb that mountain. No, 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 no. Their, their crabs are pulling you, but no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. No, 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 you're crazy, right? Yeah, it's that force of average. The force of average. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can go on and on and on about this, bro. And we're, <laughs> we're coming back to this, by the way. We're not done with this. But let's get you back to high school, because I need to get you to college. Like, okay. what, at what point did you know? Did your parents say you got to go to college? Um, did you like college? Like, how did the college thing get on your radar? Yeah, I think it was mutually just something I was going to do. It was, I don't, there was never, no time I can remember where it was like, maybe I will, maybe I won't, yeah. or 
fighting with my parents about it. Nothing like that. Uh, that we were we were on the same page. I was going to college. Um, that I I ended up going to Syracuse University. Um, you know what I was going to just ask you as you're speaking. I kept hearing like a Philadelphia or East Coast twinge in your <laughs> accent. I kept hearing it. Yeah, when I and I'm thinking to myself, he's Mexico to here. Why am I hearing that? There it is. Yeah, I don't know what it is though. That's it. Even I think I had it even when I went there. I think it's actually my Spanish and English the way it's mixed. I think that's what it's given you. I think so. And I don't I'm know. sure. I'm sure it picked up a little more when I spent my four Syracuse years on the East in, Coast. Is in Phil- New York, New York, New York. Okay, yeah, yeah. New York, upstate New York. So I end up there. I just wanted that all American college experience, the Greek life, the sports on campus. The did you play the sports small in high town. I, I was uh, I played football. I wrestled. I played baseball. Um, I played tennis. The main thing I did was I played football. You, that was your favorite. I was a football player since I was eight years old. Pop Warner football. My yeah. first time in pads and a helmet. I was eight years old. First play. I, I just got my Shut. chin just destroyed. First I still play. Have this. Uh, I don't know. If you, I don't know if you could see this scar. Probably not with my beard, but I have a scar on my chin right here from the very first play I ever Are had as an eight-year-old, me? just helmet to my chin, split it wide open, and somehow I loved it and just never stopped playing. Because usually, that's it. Oh, I loved it. Like man. your first hit, blood, and like you'd never play again. I, lo- I was, It was so great. Yeah, so I, I played quarterback pretty much. Other, my first year, because you're eight years old, everyone's the same size as Pop Warner, right? so everyone's the same size, right? Yeah. So I was actually a center, and so... Obviously, my years as center did not last at all, um, to make that point. In yeah. high school, I wrestled at 135 pounds, okay? So I, I literally wrestled at 135, which is just crazy. You're not going to believe it. In freshman year in high school, I was 107. No, wow. 107 in freshman, right here. Yeah. So you're, you're doing good at 135. Yeah. What age were you at 135? I was sophomore. 16. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about the same as you, roughly, when a I got junior. to sophomore. Junior, I... I catapulted the 180 junior year yeah yeah that's Un- wow so 135 did you like wrestling i loved it man i only did that for a season and i don't have a memory of why that is because i loved it i actually think i'm natural at it i think i i, I really wish i had done that all four years i is awesome yeah i'm not sure what that was all about um but I guess my identity, back to that, right, was yeah. I was a football player. That's just what I was. There you go. That's what we were getting on was the whole identity thing. Yeah. So, so quarterback, um, did you did you did college? Did you actually think about going to college for football? No, 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 not at all, not at all. I was, I was in no. At Syrac- Syracuse had a horrible quarter. I mean, they had terrible quarterbacks when I was there. It was after Donovan McNabb. Yeah. Terrible quarterbacks. There's like a chance I could have walked on, maybe. And never seen the field, never played, had to be waking up every day at like 5 a.m. to lift weights, not done all the, you know, skipped all the mayhem that I took part in and that I enjoyed. Um, No, I wasn't going to give it up because there was, maybe I could have gotten a uniform possibly and I would never have seen the field. So it just wasn't worth it to me. And so what made you apply to Syracuse? Um, Like how did you pick that? I wanted to be a broadcast. I wanted to be a sportscaster. So, if you know, um, Syracuse has the best broadcast journalism school in the country. Period. Like, name someone. They probably came from there. Mike Tarico, Dick Clark, Bob Costas. I mean, it's like the who's who of everybody on ESPN Sports Center. They came from Syracuse. Wow. So, 
I applied to get into, it's called Newhouse. I applied. I had good grades in high school. I had a 3.7 GPA. I scored on my SAT was like an 1170. So it was good, not great. You know, not like my brothers. He went to an Ivy League school and all that. So, but I had a shot at getting in a new house. The thing about getting in a new house is it's literally like getting into an Ivy League. It's, wow. it's very difficult to get in. So I did not get into a new house, but I did get into their business school. And my plan was, cool, I'll go to the business school. I'm going to get a major in something business related. And I'd like a, you know, also get a broadcast major. Once I got there, I made a wise decision. And at least for me, and I think it was. Um, and it was, I just said, you know what? I'm not even going to try to move into a new house and do the broadcast journalism thing. I'm, I, I just don't want it. I don't want to do the like, 3 a.m. news in like Boise, Idaho for X 10 years to like work my way through to maybe one day be on like, no, forget that. I'm going to do business. So that that's what I decided to do. But that's how I ended up getting, that's how I got on my radar. That, and then it hit all the boxes, right? From the, yeah. from the small town feel, like where everything revolves around the school to the Greek life to the, just all of it, all of it. And so you originally went there for broadcasting. Or thought you were going to go through broadly, but then switch gears to business. Yep. I got a finance degree and an entrepreneurship degree. Nice. All right. So how did college go? Any, any... Loved it. Yeah. I just loved it. I have no idea. Man, my dad, who is, uh, obviously, you know, he, he went to school in Mexico City. <laughs> and college in Mexico City is nothing like this. Yeah. College in Mexico City is like you go to your classes all day long in your discipline, and then you go home, right? And so... He had, I mean, his brain was going in a knot with what he was paying for me to be at this private university. He'd be like, hey, so what's your schedule like? Oh, I have one class today. You know, it's like I start at 1 p.m. today. I end at 4. It's just like the whole American college uh, concept is just crazy to him. And he's not wrong. I mean, what did I... what do I have still? But as I think about college for my kids, what do I still have from what I learned in school I'll buy into the idea that it taught me to study, it taught me to learn, it taught me to research, it taught me to, I don't know, maybe things about following through and living on my own. I remember the first time I had to go do my laundry there and all these things. Like, you know, it taught me to function, yes. Do I know anything about finance? I mean, I know, I understand the present value of money and I understand that, like, I don't know, inflation's a concept. I, you know, I understand these things. Um, but that's it. Like, I couldn't even give you the present value formula. I just understand the concept of present value, right? So is there anything finance related that I'm able to do? No. So what if I was to do it again, if my kid was going to business school, I, my advice to him would be to study accounting because that's the language of business. Yep. I mean, that's basically, I now have like an accounting degree, right? That I've just provided myself right in being, through being in business. Um, or economics. So I would have told him to study one of those two. It's interesting just on, on the economic front with everything that's going on now and all the you know real estate and inflation and everything that we're hearing in the news every time the Federal Reserve talks and how it affects everything. CPI report came out just yesterday. Um, it you know or two days ago, excuse me, and how it affected the market so severely. Um, that I understand. I wish I had, I understand it at a deep level, by the way. I just wish I had understood it when I was in my 20s and didn't have to wait to be in my late 30s and into my 40s to understand it. Because that's re- that's what really matters. 
um, in the business world. I think anything marketing, anything university based marketing, I, I've never seen that translate to real life marketing. What do you mean by that? Like what they what you learn in a university marketing class is just so basic. Yeah, you know, if they were to really teach marketing, because that's like ultimately what I'm known as in my industry as a marketer. Right. Right. But if you're gonna really, it's I don't remember. Maybe it's just my memory, but I don't remember copywriting classes. Right. Like like real copywriting, direct response, lead magnets, funnels. All those things that like genuinely matter to create business right now. What you're taught is like Budweiser marketing, yeah, and you know brand marketing. It's like okay, great. Um, that'll be you know. It, but any small business person that thinks they're going to invest in brand, yeah. Good luck. Right. Good luck. I mean, you can build brand, but you have to build brand as a by as a byproduct of response. A small business person, unless you have the billions of dollars to spend that Budweiser does or Nike does, see Nike can just put a swoosh out and like hope that you know you'll eventually get it that because of their swoosh and their little slogan that you should buy shoes. But that takes billions of dollars Tons. to actually make that happen. So for the rest of us that don't have the billions of dollars, we have to deploy capital into the into the marketplace as in you know as investment in marketing and advertising, and we need to see multiple dollars back. And so there must be response. Now, once you have response, you can put them into a system, and you can market to these people, right, in a way that builds brand. Yep. But you've already created response. Yep. And so it's it's a lot of small business people what they get in trouble with. And you see this all the time. I'm sure you get approached by magazines and all these things like, hey, let's put your advertisement here and there and this place. I'm like, man, like they're 95%, maybe more than that, of um, traditional marketing opportunities that are put in front of small business people are absolute pure just money holes. Like they are, they are, they will produce nothing. Plus the marketing and advertising world as it relates to small business they understand that most small business people don't understand anything. Right. So they'll sell them buzzwords. They'll sell them SEO, for yeah. example. I know SEO because the way I built my business was when the market fell out in 2007, 2008, 2009 during, that, during the Great Recession and all of my friends and family business vanished Okay, because I got into real estate in 2005. When all that business vanished and all of a sudden I had nothing, I'm like, okay, shit, like I, I might have to create some leads here, you yeah, know? Yeah. So anyway, it led me down this road where I started selling. I was trying to get out of the business and exploring what am I going to do? I was in my 20s at the time. But I end up getting in, I end up getting wrapped up with this guy who's selling debt settlement leads. Do you remember debt settlement commercials yes. on the radio? Yes. Right? To settle your debt on, you know, 40 yeah. cents on the dollar, this and that. So debt, the debt settlement industry was interesting. If you could produce as a lead creator, if you could produce a name, address, um, debt amount, email, phone number, you could sell that record for 20 to $30 to a debt settlement company. And so I started selling debt settlement leads for this guy who supposedly had debt settlement leads. I say supposedly. What was the guy's name? Oh, he's a hack, and I wish I remembered his name because I'd call him out here in a moment oh, so no. no one would do business with him. Not this Eric. Guy's a, it's not Eric, is it? No, it wasn't Eric. Oh, Eric, <laughs> don't even say. I have, don't even. I have one. I have one. Okay. No, his name was not Eric. But... Is I mean this guy was just selling nothing. I mean he was he was a scammer. Okay, yeah. and so I find out that I'm basically selling 
nothing, that I'm selling phony records to these debt settlement companies. I immediately left. The guy never paid me. The guy just a bad guy. Yeah. But it, I said, hold on a second. Like, what if I could create, like, it just got my, my brain turned on to this world of lead, of, of lead generation. Yeah. My first thought was, what if I created real debt settlement leads? So I started, I, I took the little bit of money I had left, um, and I started a website, debt settlement, I, think, I believe it was debtsettlement.net. Um, and I flopped. But my thought was, what if I can create real debt settlement leads? Yeah. What if I could create a thousand of them, sell them for 20 bucks a piece, 20,000 a month, amazing. Okay, well, it flopped, I didn't get the traffic. So I'm like, okay, now I have a new problem. My new problem is traffic. Yep. I, I didn't think of that. No one's, no one's on my website to fill out these forms, so I have nothing to sell here. Well, but then I said, okay, and what if instead of doing, I'm gonna try this again, but what if I can create the traffic, create a lead, but what if it was actually in real estate? So anyway, long story short, the way my business came to be what it is now is I spent unbelievable, I mean, hundreds of hours genuinely studying that's, uh, not that settlement, um, studying SEO. Yeah. Studying what SEO really is. I was up till three, four in the morning reading like these crazy blogs that like all these underground articles and blogs about SEO and trying these techniques and building the, you know, it has to do with linking and all these things. I won't get into it because it'll bore people. But I was up late building my website and that website exists today. So you homefinder.com. Yep. It generates a low, a ton of organic lead flow from all of the actual real life SEO work that I did. So when I watch these small business, uh, you know, these advertisers, these marketers sell SEO services to small business people, it is always complete BS. Yeah. Like it's nothing. Yep. <clears throat> In fact, they're typically hurting your website because what they're doing is you're buying all these like, quote unquote links, but these links come from bad places and without getting technical about it, Google knows that you're buying those links. Google knows those links are rude are all from what they call link farms. Yep. And Google will actually discredit your website. So you're wow. actually paying to hurt yourself when you're doing most are there are there, by the way, are there are there uh, reputable SEO companies? Of course. Yep. But by the way, they don't cost three hundred dollars a month. They cost like five, six, seven, nine, ten thousand dollars a month. Right. And so there's just this whole world of small business people that get wrapped up in that stuff. But and I don't know how I went on that tangent. No, you're gonna I, have to reel me back. Remember, I am still the kid with ADD. Yeah. I just don't take the meds anymore. I got. So, oh, so go back to wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so, I didn't know that. So did they put you on meds? Oh, uh, yeah. I remember being like, what was I, 13 years old, and I'm sitting in my middle school class just like a freaking zombie. And I'm like, uh, you know, they're like, okay, nuts. They're like, this is great. Dan's behaving. I'm like, yeah, Dan's like dying over here, dude. This is, this is done. I, I did it for like two weeks. I'm like, mom, I'm just, no. And she supported me. I'm like, no way. All right. So I asked about childhood and yeah. we brushed over that. See, see how we finally, I'll get there somehow. Get back to that, bro. Who, who, who said put you on meds? The doctor. Talk to me. The, uh, yeah, yeah. The, I went to go so get studies and diagnosed, and they said, oh, he's got this thing called ADD. You know, it was more unknown back yeah, then. This yeah, is yeah, yeah. like 1994 or whatever it was. And um, yeah, they gave me, it was Ritalin. They gave me Ritalin back. Ritalin was and around so back then. Did your parents not know anything about it? And they were like, okay, let's try it. Yeah, I'm, I mean, probably that's the way it went. I don't remember their private discussion, yeah. but but um, 
I do know this. I do know I went on. It was like two weeks. I said, Mom, I don't like it. I don't. I just don't like this. I don't like how I so feel. feel like, I'm, I don't feel like, like totally out of it. You remember this? Yeah, I just feel I felt um, sedated. Yeah. You know? And uh, and she could probably see that, right? She was probably like, all right, what's better? Like this like this like half dead child who's behaving, quote unquote, or like my my rambunctious, intelligent, like creative kid. And she she made the right choice. Wow. So yeah, I just uh, I, not since then. What so. did the, what did the doctor say when you got off? And oh no, I don't think. I don't know. I don't have any memory of saying anything to the doctor, like reporting it to him or yeah. you know anything like that. So, so what about the teachers when you when you got back off of it? We're like, oh boy, here we go again. Probably, who knows? <laughs> I don't remember, but probably something <laughs> like that, something like that. Wow, yeah, because I, I I'm big on like the whole. I I go deep into this a lot on a lot of my podcasts about big pharma, how they're just. If you want to talk about somebody that's controlling the society, our mm. society, it's big pharma, with all the drugs they're just pushing down our throats, pill here, pill, like every other. You know this when every other commercial on a TV is about a pill mm-hmm. and then have the, the 90% of the commercials, the side effects that it's going to cause, but there's that one percentage that you can be better, mm-hmm. right? Like how sick is this? Like, yep. uh, like it's sick. It's so sick that I just can't even believe that it's legal. And not only is it legal, but it's a major, major business. It's just, I don't want to get, I don't want to yep. get down on this one because it drives, it, it, it irritates me a lot because everybody, our society is all about instant. Oh, if I can just take a pill. So they just exploit us. Every other commercial is about a pill. Yeah. The commercials are always, uh, they're funny. Yeah. Commercials. Like, I they're can't, interesting. Like, they're like, like an old, you know, people skipping in the beach, jumping rope. While they're still talking <laughs> about like, death <laughs> and vomiting blood and yeah. while they're skipping around on a TV. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can't, like, it's blowing my mind. I'm looking at this. My child's next to me looking at this commercial. I'm like, this is okay. Like, this is, this is acceptable. Right. Society has deemed that that commercial right there is acceptable. See, if my if my child were if my so is there a place like do I believe is there a place where like some of that where the like should no one on the planet be on Adderall or Ritalin or Vyvanse or all these things that exist? No, I wouldn't say that. I'm sure some people should be. Right, but. If what I'm doing is looking at my child and saying, okay, is his behavior bad for him? Like, is his, is he making himself miserable? Is he frustrated with his inability to process information or to think through something? Is his quality of life um, being affected in a way in which I can help him? Or then maybe, or is the case that he's actually really happy. He's being creative. He's being who he is. And it's just not that convenient for some of the adults in his life. That's something different. Dude, so perfect. Perfectly said. Because that's what it is. He's not there to make adults' lives convenient. It's exactly what it is. Is the fact that he's inconvenienced every the teacher, the parents that can't control him. They're always having to do this. John, you know what I mean? That's right. what it's about. Exactly. This kid's just living his best life. Frankly. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Oh my gosh, this is great. Yeah. I'm glad we got on this. Think of the parents. <laughs> listen up, parents. Listen up. 
Your kid's just being a kid. In, in the majority of the circumstances, your kid is just being a kid. Let The more we try to control them and don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Like you said, we're building an identity, right? And right. not a good one. Right. You're just being inconvenienced. You're a parent. You decided to have children. Guess what? It can be an inconvenience sometimes. <laughs> we're here to guide them. Let them be a kid anyway. That's right. Yeah. And that's a good word, like, you know, to be their guide. Yeah. It's, um, that's an important role if you're, if you're a parent and we don't, I've never actually thought of it in that term, but whether you're a parent, if you're a coach, if you're a, if you're a leader in an organization. So a lot of the time, those folks, what they want to be is the hero. Yeah. In fact, if you go back to marketing, a lot of, um, a lot of businesses, what makes them ineffective marketers is that they try to put themselves in the seat of hero. Mm. And what you really need to be doing is making your customer the hero. That's right. Your customer is the hero. Your customer, your customer is going to go through, the only reason they're approaching your business is because they have an issue with something. They have a problem. In any, any great movie, the hero has a problem. The hero has some trouble. They might, you know, you know, movies are more dramatic, so they might die, or they might this, or they might lose their love, or they might whatever it might be. They're going through something, and then in that movie, or in your life, or in your business, or in parenting, or in being a, someone's business coach, then there's also someone that needs to play the role of of, of guide. Yep. And the guide is just simply someone who's already been through it. Like you've been through childhood, yep. right? Or you've been through that thing in business. And so you just, your, your role is to help them be the hero and just simply guide them so that they don't, you know, so they go through a little less danger and trip over a few less times and on their journey and to getting to where they're going. And that's what a business should be doing for people, right? It's, um, in your business, your, 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 your job is to guide them into sound sleep and all the things that's related to that with health and so on. But if you go on TV saying, hey, look at me, I'm a hero, I made this happen, that's not attractive. Yeah. What, what's attractive is for people to say, hey, like, watch you guide others, turn them, turn your customer into the hero. And that's what we should be doing with our kids. But so many parents want to be more than that yes right they want to be more than that versus understanding that their child is an entirely different person and it might not be what they're like but they're but they are who they are and nevertheless there's some similarities some common ground that we're all going to have to travel through and we're just there to help them do that yeah but not to drug them on the way um, yeah. uh, again, unless like that child is genuinely like miserable with who they are, there's like a real chemical like issue that's like they're clearly unhappy and they need the help. That, you know, but otherwise, it's it's not to create more convenience for yourself and for the teachers back at school. And that's what it is, bro. Yeah. I'm so glad we hit on this. Okay, so now what we're gonna do. You skipped ahead a little bit because we're going to come back around to the stuff that you were starting to get on with business because it was fantastic. But I want to also go early on. You got me to 07, 08, 09, but I want to go before that when you actually started in your real estate business, okay? Like coming out of college, at what point, how did, how did you get from college to being in the real estate? Let's talk about the very early journey and what you went through. Out of college, I... 
I, so I was in uh, I was in upstate New York. All my friends end up uh, taking the majority of them all end up taking uh, jobs in Manhattan and in New York City mm. and doing that whole thing. I take a supposedly really good job. In fact, the valedictorian, whatever you call that in university, I forget what it's called. It's called something else. Um, took the same position at an aerospace company I, um, called BAE Systems. And it was a it was a finance job at BAE Systems. I'm there. I'm like doing, you know, you want to talk about like playing in a role that just not meant for me. This is like, this is your typical nine to five, you know, cubicle job. And I absolutely hated it. I hated it. So, and I couldn't, it's kind of like back to like those middle school years. Like I couldn't figure out like, wait, hold on a moment. You're going to pay me whether like I work or not. Like you're going to pay me whether I just spend my whole day on ESPN.com surfing the internet or not. Like I was a terrible employee. I might've been the worst employee on the planet. Like no one ever should have employed me. It's just crazy. I don't know what my job, I can't, to this day, I could not tell you exactly what my job was. I don't know what my responsibilities were. I don't, I don't know. I didn't know how to do my job. I was terrible at it. I spent most of the time literally just on the internet. Um, which by the way, ended up being a very expensive thing. Cause one of the things I was doing on the internet was trading serious, um, stock. Are you, you serious? You know, the, the satellite radio. Yeah. And it like plummeted and I lost all my <laughs> so whatever. So I'm just like messing around. It was like Howard Stern was about to go on all these things. So anyway, um, actually, I don't know if it was that far back, the Howard Stern, but it was a big deal. Yeah. Anyway, point being is I was not doing my job and I quit after seven months. Um, I quit after seven months. What were they paying you? I was getting, I was paid $45,000. Okay. $45,000. That was my job out of college. The crazy thing is, man, I go in to quit and I'll tell you what I went to go do in a moment. I was going to go do something more entrepreneurial with my dad, though that was still not my final spot. But I quit, and I remember being in the office of my manager. And, and by the way, the reason I quit is I would say to myself, okay, fine, I don't like my job. This, this, this sucks. But I'm not going to always have this job. Yeah. What, what's my manager doing? Because I'm going to, you know, I'll have his job. No, that job looks like it sucks. Okay. Well, that's fine, but I'm not going to have my manager's job for it. What, what's the guy that runs this whole like building doing? Oh, that, that job looks even worse, right? So then yeah. I went to go quit. But I remember being in the guy's office, and when I tell him, I thought they were going to like celebrate and be like, holy shit, thank you. This is the best. Like, like, yeah. We were about to fire you, actually. I could not believe that his reaction I was like, oh, my goodness, we're so sorry. You always have an open door here. If you change your mind, you can come back. And I'm like, dude, do you not realize I don't know what the hell I'm doing? I haven't done shit for like the entire time I've been here. Like, I, and, and so it's just crazy, these environments, these huge corporate environments where you could just hide, man. There's like, you know, what I've now learned is there's people in those environments who do their job and there's people that just protect their job. And you can hide in those places, man. You can be there for years and years. It's like that. It's like that movie Road Trip. Yeah, you see Road Trip, yes. right? Where the guy is like, he's got one of these corporate jobs, and he's off in Europe doing his road trip thing, and he's pretending like he's back at the office, and no one knows any different. It's literally like that. So anyway, I quit. Um, 
and the idea was my dad was in the what we call the maquiladora industry okay okay that's like it's in tijuana all the border towns in mexico so sewing factories assembly plants and so he he was in the textile industry um and basically remember like disney or guests or all the brands like this they they send off their materials and they're assembled in these plants along the border so that's the business he was in and we opened the new plant together um this is more my dad like probably wanting yeah. to open a new plant than saying hey son we're gonna quote unquote do this together so it was better it was more like hey we've gotten got our own thing going this is nice having said that i did not like going to tijuana every day um, i really didn't like going to tijuana every day it's a, it was just an unpleasant place to be um, I love Mexico. I do not love Tijuana. Okay. Um, I love eating in Tijuana. I love having dinner in Tijuana. Fabulous. Yeah. Even to this day, like, if, man, it's, it's awesome. But spending your day there is just not my favorite, crossing the border, all this. So anyway, that's happening. But at the same time, my dad's getting ready to sell a house. And, I, and, and this is 2005. Real estate's considered to be easy. Yep. The market, I remember. The market yeah. was cranking. So I'm like, hey, I'll get my license and I'll sell your house, dad, right? And so I got my license, sold that one house. It was as easy as I thought it would be. But that was the last easy sale I ever made because shortly thereafter, the San Diego market, people think of, a, of the market change as being like 07, 08, 09. But in 05, um, the San Diego market started to change late in 05. And, and, but nevertheless, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And so just the short of it is closed down that factory in, in, in Mexico. That was also probably bad timing for that because my, my dad probably was just trying to be too good of a dad at that point and opening that with me because the reality is that the economic environment globally was such that China was just starting to crush that industry yeah. in Mexico. Um, but in any case, I end up just saying, hey, I'm really enjoying this. And I just go full time into real estate from that point forward. And that's just kind of how it happened. But I wasn't really, I didn't understand what real estate was. I thought it was just sell homes to like family friends when they call. Yeah. Right. Like I, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't lead generating. I wasn't building a business. It was a joke. And then the Great Recession came wiped all that out left me with no business whatsoever so how big how big of a business had you created i was selling or two i was selling five six homes a year i sold five six homes a year for my first uh three years first three years yeah oh five oh six that was it it was nothing it was nothing and were you just doing with warm market like friends and friends and friends family family, it was it was it was not a business it was just me being a 20 something year old not realizing what you know what hard looked like but hard showed up in the great recession all that was did you had you bought any homes yourself any investment no no i hadn't bought anything um thankfully i guess because i would be timing at the moment but that when the great recession came and wiped all that out i was left with that like okay what am i going to do am i leaving this industry am i actually going to learn this industry am i going you know so it was a blessing at the end of it what company did you work with at the time um, my first broker was this guy, man, who, um, you know, there's a code of ethics and what we're supposed to say about other brokers yes. and what we're not supposed to say about other brokers. Okay. So we'll leave it there. Okay. Um, it was this little tiny boutique in Rancho Santa Fe called the, the real estate office of Rancho Santa Fe. Just 
we'll leave it there, man, yeah. so that I don't, so I stay safe. Yeah. But um, I, I shortly there left this dude, and I joined a guy named Michael Taylor. Hmm. Michael Taylor and Andrew Doherty, they were at Prudential, Prudential California Realty. They were a top five Prudential team in the nation. And that was really good. I learned. I learned how to actually be a professional, the things I wasn't learning previously. I learned how to be a professional. Um, I was able to just ask questions. So I learned the mechanics of real estate. Yeah. What I didn't learn was the business of real estate. Yeah. Um, the actual, you know, the business. But when that Great Recession showed up, then I was forced to. Right. And that's the great thing about a time like that. I, I mean, even the market changes we've been going through right now, right. And they've been different, totally different nature than what we had then. But the market got really difficult for real estate agents in the last, oh, I don't know, let's call it the last six to nine months. Yeah. And it's great, though. It's great because so many will quit. So yeah. many will get out of the way. The real players will show up. By the way, you're tested, too. It's like, oh, hey, yeah. it's like hey, you know, the market says, hey, Dan. It's, it's good that you've uh, gotten all these awards and this and that and the other, but guess what? The, we, the market, it's like the mountains, right? When I go climbing, we do not give a crap. We do not care. So, Dan, you're going to show up. You're going to do the right things. You're going to fight or you'll get wiped out too. And so I know that, right? I know that there's, there's big players in all these like, market changes that suddenly disappear. Yep. And I'm aware of that. I'm not going to be one of them, but I'm, I have the awareness and the respect of the, like of understanding that that is something that will happen for those that do not have the respect and the understanding. And, and then there's people that you've never heard of, just like no one had heard of me at the time back in 08, 09. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, where'd this guy come from? Well, there's people out there right now in this difficult market that are doing the things that few others are willing to do yep. and they're going to show up all of a sudden. And so it's a, it's a fun time, man. Like the times like this are what real entrepreneurs will live for. Yeah. Um, but you know, I only know that cause I, I got to experience that and it's, it's my second go around, right. With the great recession. Yep. And so, uh, seven, eight, nine, give me like you started studying the lead generation, right? Was that what catapulted you? So coming out of that, oh, yeah. give me your, uh, your trajectory after that, like after the oh, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. So I build my website. I mean, and basically I just start building my website and I'm getting more leads, more leads. Um, suddenly at the height of it, I was getting 17 leads organically coming through a day. And I just didn't, you know, I didn't have a business. I didn't have a team. It was just me. But that just forces new questions. Yeah. How do I manage them? What's going to be the CRM? How do I, what's going to be the lead management process? And, and, you know, who else should be working alongside me? So all that leads to basically from 2010 through 2013, I was in the process of building my, you know, quote unquote business, my team, but doing it all wrong. Completely wrong. Just like tripping all over myself, starting over. Oh, that didn't work. Starting over. Getting people on compensation structures that are just unsustainable, that won't scale. Starting over. And so that was about a three-year process of doing wow. that. And all the while, I'm my personal production is growing, so I'm making more money personally. But the business side, as far as getting any kind of leverage, right, I'm going through my, I guess, the school of hard knocks, right? Because yep. what I didn't do, which I would... Huge mistake. What I didn't do is I didn't go and pursue coaching. Mm. I didn't go find a mentor. I didn't that, do any of those things. That was going to be my question. Like, weren't you um, following somebody that had done it before? That was going to be my question. No, not at the time. Now, as you move closer to like 
2012, 2013, I start pursuing those things. So now all of a sudden I start finding myself at conferences and at, you know, um, building relationships with different people. And so, yes, that started to come in play, but because it, it you know, that, that took a little bit for me to understand just how important and how, yeah, how meaningful that would be. Um, that's what most people should do. You know, I don't know what other real estate or what other industries are like in the real estate industry. Coaching is a widely accepted, adopted, like encouraged thing. And so having a real estate coach is something so that's a no brainer, but having a business coach, I mean, if I was a, if I was a dentist, if I was a chiropractor, if I was a, an attorney, a small business person, I'd at the very least be in some kind of environment where you're surrounding yourself with other people that have been through the, uh, been through the path you're about to go through, right? right? Whether yeah. it be something like a Vistage and EO, uh, uh, you know, any one of these kinds of organizations or more formal coaching structures, it's just, I, I, I equate it to when I'm, cause I, I, I'm, you know, I've alluded to it, right? But I do a lot of mountaineering. And I'll go climb big mountains, big dangerous mountains that'll kill you. And it's the difference between climbing these mountains guided or unguided. Mm. Unguided? Forget it. I, I, not only would I probably never see the summit, but you if you've ever been to a mountain, it doesn't even have to be a gigantic mountain. It could be when you're out skiing. You think you see the summit from the base. You yep. look up, you're like, oh, there's the summit. Well, and you say, oh, I'll, I can see the path. I'll go up this way. I'll make a right there. I'll make a left. Okay, cool. I see the path. But if you actually pursue that path unguided, what you'll find out is, first of all, not only was that not the summit, okay? It's, it, that, was a, that was a false summit. The real summit is tucked back behind it somewhere else. You can't even see it from the base, so you don't even know where you're really going. But the route you took, what you didn't realize from down below is that it actually leads to a cliff where if you go over it, you will die. And that where you thought you saw that path, it, it wasn't. It's full of traps. It's full of false, you know, ev everything. So... If you were guided, you would know, hey, like we're actually not going to turn right there. We're going to duck down into that little valley. We're going to come around the corners. And here's why, because we're going to have to traverse this area because there's rockfall and it'll fall on us and kill us. And so then we're going to move. Point being is you're going to be able to avoid all those things. Because what happens, whether you're mountaineering or as an entrepreneur, yeah. is if you go up that mountain unguided, if you're lucky enough to not fall into those traps and die... Your best nest case scenario is you have to go all the way back to the bottom and start over. Yeah. So that's where coaching comes in and where guidance and mentorship and all those things, which is, I, I mean, the amount of money I spend on coaching is ridiculous in most people's views, but it's ridiculous for me not to in my view because I don't have to keep starting over, right? I, I don't have to keep coming back. And it's like, I'm just, here's what I'm done with. I'm done with trial and error. Yeah, I, I'm not into trial and error. I'm not into testing it. I don't need to prove that I can figure it out by myself. I am great at modeling. Modeling is what most entrepreneurs should. That's the skill they should develop. And so I've invented very little, but I've modeled very, very, very effectively. And it's okay then you put your own, your, your own feel and your own twist and your own touch on the things you do absolutely as I have. But it's the equivalent of like somebody, you know, in my business getting a script. Okay, here's how you call an expired listing. Use this script. And they go, oh, well, I don't know. I'm going to tweak it. I'm going to change it to this and that. My business coach calls them tweakers, right? I'm going to, oh, I don't know. That doesn't feel right. I'm going to change it to this. I'm going to change these words to that. Well, how about you just do it? Like 
500 times. And then you have the ability to maybe do whatever right. little tweak you think you want to do, right? So, um, but that's just me. Maybe some people think, no, let's just go blaze the trail on our own. I've um, I found that I'm less attached to that and more attached to just getting... Um, I'm, I'm more attached to having a positive result yeah. than to like proving that I'm some like, I don't know, a trailblazing badass. It's, it's, I don't need to be. Well, it's, you know, it's Dan, it's like, uh, it's the number one way. I preach this a lot, what you're saying. Like to this day, I'm 52, been in business for 20 years. There isn't a decision that I make when I'm doing something where I don't call somebody that I know or text that is, that's a business person way better than me. Say, hey, what about this situation? Well, who do I go to? Where do I go? I still, because I don't want to sit there and try to figure it out. We have such great people in our lives. There's, no, right. re there's no reason to try to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, you know that, I mean? that's right. Because even when you think you're facing a unique situation, first of all, it's probably already happened. Oh, yeah. But even if it hadn't, I guarantee you that it's rooted in principles that have already happened, been tested. And so... Most things, it's it's interesting. I was just talking to someone. I uh, Maybe I can remember in a moment who it was. But in any industry, there's really only like 10 objections that come up, right? In any industry. Now, you could maybe probably come up with variations that go well beyond 10. But those 10 are still rooted back to these... Or, or the, the, all the objections that can come up are still rooted back into like the, the, these basic concepts and principles that are just universal, always to that industry, often to business as a whole, yep. right? And that's why like you can have, you can, getting perspective from people in other industries is actually is one of the things that's most important to me. Um, just because we all face the same things. They're just, they're just disguised differently, yep. right? And they show up different, but um, being able to reach out to people from other industries that have faced a similar, a similar situation gives you really good, fresh perspective that often we're just too close to the issue. And, um, and it also goes along with like the stuff that we go through as entrepreneurs that normal people don't understand. It also helps to be able to talk to other entrepreneurs that are going through the, let's call it the, the, the weeds and the crap that we go through to know that it's normal. Like, okay, oh, you went through that too? Yeah, of course I did. We're entrepreneurs. You go through right. this, right? It's always good to kind of, like, say, kind of vent and right. hear somebody else that's going through stuff. Like, right. oh, I'm not the only one going through this. No, every entrepreneur goes through this. Exactly. Okay, so, Dan, I want you to touch on, this is for your team, for people that know you. Give me one, a couple of stories of some tough times that you had when you were first starting real estate. Uh, like, how were you living? What kind, like, times where you just were had no money mm -hmm. when you were starting out. Give me some hard times for Dan Beer. Do you have any stories about that when you were first starting out? Yeah, man. I mean, I remember in 2007, I went to go pay my rent, and there was no money in my <laughs> bank account whatsoever. Um, and I just remember that shock because I'd, I'd been making some money, <coughs> but because I was single and young and stupid, <laughs> I just, I don't know what the heck I did with the money, right? Yeah. I, it's like all, hey, where'd it go? It's at the gas lamp district somewhere. And I go to pay my rent and there's nothing. There's nothing in the bank account. Unfortunately, 
I had received one of those credit card checks in the mail. Uh-huh. I never knew what they were for. Now I found out what they're for. They're so you could write your landlord a check when you don't have any. Um, but that changed me, man. That fundamentally, that like really changed me. Um, it, Did you it use just, the credit it, card check? Yeah, I paid my rent, and thankfully I sold the house like a month later, and I, you know, it, and everything ended up being okay. But that experience, for whatever reason, it just fundamentally changed me, like like down to like my DNA. I got, I grew a deep respect for money, for savings, for for being smarter. Um, it made me probably too frugal for a while, mm. like where, like where it even like with my wife kind of affected, like, like she's like, okay, like it's okay. Like when, because we, we were, we started doing okay. And, yeah. But I like, it took me a long time to let go of that feeling. I just, it, it, it was a big deal for me. So anyway, 2007, that happens. I mean, my wife and I, our first place that we purchased in 2000, late 2010, we bought our first place after we got married. Um, I couldn't afford it. And luckily I knew the person building these townhomes in Hillcrest and we got him to seller finance it for us because I couldn't get a loan anywhere from a bank. That's as recently as 2000, you know, late 2010. Um, I remember the feeling though, when we refinanced it, paid him off and, you know, that was all really great. Um, you know, fortunately really since those days, like through the great recession and everything that happened, like, but once, like since being married to my wife, Liat, I, things have been okay. You know, it's like, it's been gradual, yeah. right? It's been, it's been, it's been gradual, but but we haven't had to take like a gigantic step backwards or anything. But that 2007 event, yeah, it's, I mean, it was a couple of years into selling real estate and still like it just had nothing. And it was just a, it was something I really wanted to make sure I didn't ever experience again. Wow. You know what I mean, man? Yeah, yeah. It's something I didn't want to experience again at and, all. And then tell me how you've navigated marriage and family being this, uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure, quite busy as a real estate guy. Yeah. Like, Give me some give me some things on how you two have navigated that communication wise. You're running the the real estate company, mm-hmm. uh, Liat. Um, talk to me about that a little bit. Well, it feels a lot better to her than in the beginning. You know, and Tell when, me about when you that. go back to like 2010, 11, 12, uh, I was I'd come home from work 8 p.m. We'd have dinner, maybe watch a show, and then I'd be back at the office, the home office, to I don't know, call it two, three in the morning. So. Compared to then, it yeah. feels like I'm like, you know, home a lot all yeah. of a sudden. So, but she's, I do travel a lot for work and that, that it's, it, it, it is, it's a thing, you know, number one is we always put the, the family travel on the calendar first. It just goes yep. on period. And once we hit, so having that in place is really, really good. Um, I don't work weekends anymore. Haven't worked, excuse me, haven't worked weekends for many years now. Um, since kind of building the business yep. and all the open house opportunities go to our agents. And so that's kept me home on the weekends. And so that's become really steady. Um, I think right now the thing that we mostly need to navigate is just the travel I do. Yeah. It's, it's, I, could, uh, I could find out right now that I'm going to go to wherever it might be next week. And some it could be because I have, I have partners, real estate partners around the country yeah. 
that I'll go and speak for. I'll be invited to be a keynote at an event at a whatever it might be at a conference. And so um, she she actually doesn't has not to this date come with me to any of my work events, which I get it because she just sort of be going from like dinner to lunch to thing to come. It's just not her thing. Yeah. So, but we're trying to find our spots where like, for example, I've got one coming up in Calgary in June. And so I really, we're looking for her to come to that and then we'll go spend a couple of days in Banff. And so it's a matter, man, of just, um, making sure, making sure to calendar the family time. Yeah. It's not perfect. Sometimes it gets out of balance and we'll talk about that. Yeah. She'll say so. And, you know, maybe I'll turn down a gig or a speaking event or a recruiting opportunity and, and that's all good too. It has to stay, it has to stay balanced, but she's super understanding, um, really supportive does and takes like, I don't have to worry about what's going on at home, yeah. you know, which yeah. is like, yeah. a, it's, which is a blessing. That, that, that right there, what you just said, like for me with my wife, she runs the entire, what I call the estate. I don't got to worry about nothing. Yeah. Nothing. It's being handled. Otherwise, there's no way I could do what I do. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Totally. And I always point that out to her how important her role is as the, let's call it the the CEO also, the chief estate officer of running the entire home, the kids. Absolutely. Because that is a lot of work. It's a dude. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, uh, when I get, when I step into that role from time to time. Yeah. I'm like, oh my, like, I am so tired. Yeah. You know, on a weekend, I'm like, when, like, Monday feels like a vacation. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And not because I'm not enjoying the week. It's just, it's a lot of work. Three kids. My kids are all under nine. Um, and it's, it's, it, it's a lot that they do. And this isn't just, I mean, ladies should know this isn't, or house husbands too, should know, like, this isn't just something that we say because, like, we know it's the right thing to say. Right. Like, do we know it's the right thing to say? Sure. But that's not why we say it. Yeah. Like, it, it literally would be impossible for us to be doing the things that we're doing. And I told my wife, like, look, you don't actually even have to do what you're doing. You're yeah. doing a lot of work. Yeah. I could, we, I, I could step way in and help, but it does require an adjustment on other things we're looking to do and have and, you know, lifestyle stuff. Yep. But we'll make those decisions together, you know. Yeah. But at the velocity at which we work, no, it's, it's not possible. Yeah, it's, it's, and, and again, it's, we can't say it enough wholeheartedly. Yeah. Like how important this is, how important what they do is. Uh, my wife and I talk about it all the time because, you know, the amount that she does, but there's, then there's, because, because we're kind of in the limelight of the business guys, you know, they, they kind of think that maybe they're in the, the backseat or something, but they're not, they're, you know, it, they're driving the vehicle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Oh man, come look at any major life decision I've got and you'll know that's true. Yeah, exactly. It's like, right? yeah. Uh, love it, man. All right, so okay, so now we're going to we're going to we're going to come down the home stretch and you're going to talk about the current real estate. You just said the last 6 to 9 months has made it real challenging on on real estate agents and brokers. Talk to me about the last 6 to 9 months. What has caused this? What's happening? What's your predictions? Start flowing. It's all it's all about inflation, okay. number one. So if you really want to understand what's going to happen with the real estate market, what's going to happen with interest rates, um, all you really need to be doing is tracking inflation. Okay. okay. So look at the inflation numbers that just came out. And of course, you might be listening to this some other time, but the concept stands, right? It stands now. It stands for if you're listening to this 10 years from now, Yeah. which is CPI numbers, um, the consumer price index numbers. 
came up came out higher than expected. They expected 0.4% um, for the month, and it came out at 0.5. Well, that tiny little change, 0.4 to 0.5, which is also not tiny if you look at it a little bit differently. Right. It's a 25% difference. Um, that's, that, equi- that's equivalent to 25% difference. Well, 0.5 is 25% higher than 0.4. Yeah. Some people think it's 0.1 higher, but actually it's 25% higher. Aha. Uh-huh. Right? So... Just that simple miss right there, what happened? A lot of things happened. Number one is interest rates shot up because interest rates will follow inflation. People think interest rates follow the 10-year treasury note. It's all correlated, but ultimately what the 10-year is following is also inflation. Okay, so what you need to follow is inflation. Um, when 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 it just came out higher, interest rates pop up. Eventually, will the real estate market feel that? Yeah, is it feeling it like today? No, it'll be a lag. It may it'll it would start feeling that maybe in three weeks and in a month. Having said that, there'll be another reading in a month if it comes in improved. It'll be better. Now, what's happening? This gets really technical, but if you look at the readings that we had going back a year ago, so the CPI numbers are always a one-year reading. Okay, so 12, 12 one-month readings. Yep. So. When we get the next reading next uh, next month, it'll drop off that month from a year ago. Well, a year ago's numbers were really high. Um, they were coming in 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7. So as we drop those off, as long as we're getting 0. 0.3s, 0. 0.4s, 0. 0.5s, it's a very good bet, despite the reading we just got, it's a very good bet that we're going to see inflation dropping. So ultimately, what do I think is uh, you'll see happen is because we'll finally, a few things will happen. Those old large readings will fall off, giving us a natural drop in CPI. So you should see interest rates dropping from that perspective. Um, the number two is, you'll, you'll, it's only a matter of time before they announce that we're officially in a recession. Okay. okay. So anytime you have a recession, what you get is, a, is downward pressure on interest rates. And and recessions are actually good for interest rates if what you want is lower interest rates. Right. Um, It's one of the reasons why, aside from the Great Recession, put that aside completely, aside from the Great Recession, if you look at most any other recession in the last 30, 40 years, real estate has outperformed virtually any other asset class in those recessions. It's always done really, really well in those recessions. Yep. And the reason why is you get that drop in... in, um, in interest rates. And when there's a recession, what's typically happening is the stock market isn't going well. Okay. When the stock market's not going well, what you get is people say, okay, well, let me pull it out of this paper investment and let me put it in real hard assets. So that's, you know, the the traditional flight to safety there being gold, right? A hard asset, but real estate is the same way. So you'll see money flow to real estate, to hard assets, to people, to things people feel like they can control more than they can control like what Microsoft is doing, right, in the right. stock market. Um, so, I mean, that's more of a prediction of where we should go. I do think that you'll end up seeing interest rates kind of hitting in the lower fives, not terribly long from now, call it between now and June. Um, if you look at the relationship between the 10-year treasury note and effective um if you look at the 10-year treasury note and the and the uh fed funds rates the gap between the two also or excuse me not the fed funds rate but um 
the inflation numbers, excuse me, the gap is much wider than it traditionally is. There's typically about a two point gap. Yeah. The gap has been recently at like as high as three points, but it's actually come back down two and a half points, 2.7 points. So if you see that, that treasury rate, um, drop closer to three, you'll see interest rates in closer to five. Okay. So all these things are happening. What's been happening though is yeah, you got, you go back to just examine what happened in those last nine months. Interest rates went from being 3%, 2.8%, 2.5% to being seven plus percent. Now they're in the lower sixes, by the way. Um, and you can get, depending on the program, there are plenty of loans happening in the fives right now, upper fives. But when that happened, you just have a natural effect of a certain amount of people are just simply knocked out. They can no longer afford the payment. And you, but, but what's interesting, you still have this really low inventory environment. There are not very many homes for sale right. at all. And so here's actually the kind of the opportunity in the moment for, what, for, for the marketplace. The opportunity right now is you have, think of your buyer who, when the interest rates in the market was just ridiculous, right? Go back to like the 2021 market when it was just fast and furious, 15 offers on everything. A buyer that was strong, qualified, but didn't have 30, 40, 50, 60% down, just your good old buyer at 10%, 15, 20% down, they were getting destroyed in that market. They mm. couldn't compete. They couldn't get in. Yep. Now you go to a, then you went to a 7% interest rate environment and that buyer couldn't qualify. Now you start easing back into this like six and five percent market, and what's happening is it's not nearly as competitive as it was back then, and they can qualify again for the house that they're looking for. So it's actually an interesting market in that it's the it's probably the last buying window for this for the foreseeable market cycle. It's probably the last buying window for somebody that is just a good qualified buyer, but yeah. who's not like a fifty percent down buyer. This is your market. Like right now is your market. And for how long? Well, it depends really, I think, on it, if inventory doesn't rise, which it's not, it's not rising, okay? Yep. Um, it's still super low. This gets into way more technical stuff. Like and how by many the houses, way, let, yeah. me just, let me just let everybody that's watching and listening, February 2023 is what we're talking about right now. So when people, because this, yeah, like, this will launch in about a, two weeks, three weeks from now. So they know the timeline here. It gets like all of this is very technical in terms of like what's happening with inventory it has to do with um, new households that are that household starts that happen, right? So it's like how many new households are developed on a yearly basis. Well, we've been developing in that environment where interest rates get really wild. Less households are developing, okay, and so. All of these different things are all just inter intertwined. There's someone that I would follow if somebody wants to like really get into this is have them go look up Barry Habib and they'll see everything yeah. that I'm talking about. But long story short is it how long that window exists? I think just it just depends on how long it takes for the rates to get back to say like five. I think you see a five percent rate and you see a market that explodes like huge explodes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. 
it, it, we, we're not going to need rates to get back to 3% for things that be crazy and for us to see big time appreciation again. So right now you have this market pause. You have sellers that are you know saying, hey, like, okay, the market's not as great as it was. I'm willing to make a deal. You have buyers that qualify for loans that they were not qualifying for a short time ago or when they were qualifying were getting destroyed by all the cash in the market. And there's just this nice sweet spot right now for a buyer to make a good purchase. What's a good purchase? A good purchase is a home that you plan on being in for the next foreseeable market cycle, seven to 10 years. Yeah. Yep. I would tell you if, you, if you came to me and said, Dan, let's buy a home. I think I want to buy a home. Maybe I'll sell it a year or two from now. I'd say, do not do that. Just rent. Yeah. Okay. Don't, don't buy a home you're going to sell in a year or sell in two. Just rent. Okay. When you're going to be into the home and you can afford the payment, the beauty is, Think about this. You you lock your payment in. Yep. Think of anything that think of anyone that you that you know who's renting. Yep. Renting today and who was renting three years ago. It was a rent higher today or three years ago. Uh, today. Yeah. Was it higher three years ago or six years ago? Probably three years ago. Is it going to be higher in three years or today? It's, it's going to be higher in three years. Yeah. So. What happens is when you purchase, you actually lock in your payment. When you're renting, your payment's always rising. It's funny because people think like, oh man, I'm going to, you know, like I, I definitely want a 30-year fixed mortgage because like a 10-year fix, that's, that then becomes variable. That, be, that That's so dangerous. We can, that's a whole nother discussion. But okay, let's say I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. Cool. Well, then that same person will make the more quote unquote conservative decision to rent. They're in a freaking variable rate payment. Exactly. They're in a payment that will rise and will always rise. Okay. So that payment's always rising. And what's interesting, the equity line for that person is always flat. It's at zero. The owner, flip that around, the owner's payment is flat, but their equity rises. And what's interesting, also most people that are renting a home, what they don't understand is they are paying a mortgage. Yeah. Somebody else's. They're paying someone else's mortgage. They're paying a mortgage. They're also paying taxes, insurance, repair they're paying all that and and by the way they're paying owner equity like the 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 owner's gains right the owner's cash flow right otherwise that owner wouldn't be renting the place to begin with so it's the most that's the most expensive proposition you can make now when you were getting beat out or when you don't qualify you don't qualify and you're getting beat out i get it this is the window where you lock in the home that you are going to be comfortable in over the course of the next seven to 10 seven years. To 10 years. Yeah. Dan, people say, Dan, should I sell my home? Well, I don't know. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. Some people should not. Some people should. Let's talk about it. Um, oh, you have three kids and you live in a studio. Um, you maybe should consider selling your home because you know, you just had triplets and you're probably not going to be very comfortable in this studio. And you might be making your, you might be, you might be looking to buy a home, a different home in a year or in two years, we don't know what that environment looks like. Can you afford the payment for a home that fits your lifestyle today? Yep. If, if you can afford that, do it. If you can't, that's, that's a the bottom story. line. Can you afford the payment, right? That's going to go along with the lifestyle that you are leading, whatever, you mo whatever money you're making, right? Right. Correct. Okay. I'm building a home right now. I'm building a home right now. And on my street is a home that is uh, up for sale. And my wife says, hey, like, are, like, what if they get this number? What if they get that number? I say, irrelevant. Are we selling our home next year? Are we selling our home this year? 
No, we're building a home that we're going to be in for like the next 12, 15 years. Does not matter whatsoever what that home does. Yeah. So people get wrapped up on what are the home values and they really need to get wrapped up on, am I in the home right now that I'm comfortable being in for the, for like the next phase of my life? If not, go get into that home so long as you can afford the payment. Right. And that's a very important key, by the way. Very important key. And if you are comfortable where you are, stop thinking about real estate. Turn the news off. Don't get bothered by what your neighbor sold for. Enjoy your life. And if you are going to go get bothered by real estate, like focus on real estate as an investor, but not because yeah. you're focused on your equity on your primary home. It doesn't matter to you. You shouldn't be selling it. You shouldn't be listening. Just, just live. Repeat that, bro, because <laughs> there's so many people right now that are on the fence. What do I do? They're, they're getting worried. I, should I be in real estate? Should I sell my home? Say that one more time. People shouldn't be market timing with their own home. Okay, so where you live, all you should be thinking about is, does this home fit the lifestyle we want and can we afford the payment? And get yourself to where that answer is yes. If you're already in the home where that answer is yes and some agent, some real estate agent's telling you to sell your home because of this, that, or the other, go fire, you know, go call a different agent. Yeah. You should, you just stay put if you're already in that place. If you're not, then go get in that place. Now, as an investor, that's completely different. Yes. And as an investor, now you start looking at a very different analysis but and i know this because by the way i broke this rule yeah i'm building a home i mentioned yep. well i owned a home and then um covid comes around all these shutdowns come around i have to give myself some grace and remember how scared i was about like if i would even be allowed to work okay because yeah for a moment it was like can i even go outside can i work can i show a house how, how will we make a living but nevertheless i'm building this home do i need a place to live Yes. Well, could I afford the payment that I was in at the time? Absolutely. It was like the most un unbelievably low payment ever. It was magically low payment. I'll never have a payment like that again. What did I do? I'm like, hey, I think the timing is such I should sell my house. The market's doing this, that. The I sold my house. I don't want to tell you what that's now cost me. But that's now cost me so much money that it would make me sound obnoxious, okay, if I were to actually put it out there. It has cost me a fortune. But when the analysis should have been, okay, hold on, despite what the market's doing, and can we currently afford our payment? Yes. Is this the house that would serve us over the next two years while we build that house? Yes. Is, this, is there any reason why we wouldn't want to live in a house just like the one we're living in? Nope. This is perfect. Great. We should have stayed there. And today I'd be worth significantly more money had I done that. Okay, so how did you lose money? Because you sold. I sold it for what seemed like a record <laughs> price at the moment. Yeah. And within a year later, you know, it's like. Skyrocketed. I, yeah, I mean, stupid amounts. Many, 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 many hundreds of thousands of dollars that. Um, which is fine, too, because, look, you're going to win and lose sometimes right. in that yeah. way. Yeah. But here's the problem. The problem is I, didn't, I, I needed a place to live. So I left that place. I rented a place. I went to go pay someone else's mortgage. My rent's been raised by $1,500, by the way. A month. Uh-huh. It's been raised by that much. I won't even tell you what the rent is. And then I still needed somewhere to live. So I could have just continued living there. But because I wanted to play market timer... So what does that mean? It's not about me. Right, so have you moved into the house that you're building yet? 
Oh, August, I hope. So you're in the rental now. Yeah, we're still there. So we hope so it's you're August. Just, you're totally speaking from... I broke the. I, I just broke this simple rule. It's, it's the the, the point. Of, the point of it all is because it's not about me. It's get yourself to where you're going to be over the cor- where you would be comfortable being over the course of the next seven to ten years. And look, everyone's in different phases of life. So take like a newlywed couple, and maybe they're like, "Well, I'm not asking you to be in your ten year forever dream home." But you do need to be in a place where based on your family plans of are you going to have kids, are you not going to have kids, how big will your household be, all those sorts of things. What you want to avoid is living somewhere that will force you to sell. Like Uh, when when your structure is inadequate and will, it's like, hey, like we're okay now, but if we have a kid, we're not going to fit, move now to a place, doesn't mean you have to move to your dream, but move to a place where if the market circumstances weren't favorable, you could block that noise out because you'd be able to afford where you're living and it would be good, safe, nice home for you and this potential kid, right? Like you got, you yeah. have to be in a place where your structure isn't going to become inadequate to the point or you're not in a payment you can't afford where the market, you don't ever want to be forced to sell. Okay, so this is a really long way of saying the only people that ever lose in real estate are people that are forced to sell. Ah. Only people forced to sell lose. Take me back to 2007, 8, 9, 10, the, the Great Recession, yeah. devastation, horrible things happening. Take me back there. Now show me someone that owned their house through it and still owns that home. Great Recession's irrelevant. Right. Literally exactly. didn't even matter. Doesn't even matter. Nope. Nope. Didn't matter at all. Because it's even way higher now. People got hurt in the Great Recession. Who got hurt? People couldn't afford their payments. Ah. Uh, right? People yeah. that couldn't afford their payments. It, it was people who... Um, you know, there's all those crazy loans where you would literally make a payment and your loan amount would grow. Those negative amortization payments. Yep, I remember. So they got hurt. And so I'm not suggesting people didn't get hurt, but I am suggesting that if you're in a place that suits you for the long term, that, that fits your lifestyle, you're going to be, you don't have to think about all these things. <laughs> this is so good, dude. This is really good. Like the way, the way you're putting it is very simple because everybody that's going to listen to this is is this is this is relevant to every person that's listening and watching everybody no matter if they're had a home in a home renting whatever they're doing right now the way that you're putting this is so simple yes. so simple all right so now talk to me you said what made it so hard for real estate agents in the last six six to nine months what makes it more difficult for the agents now that the ones that are kind of getting weeded out like the herd is weeding out at this point right What's, why is it more difficult for agents? Well, there's less transactions. That's it. There are far less transactions in the marketplace. Yep. I mean, that's the boil it down to simple terms. There's a lot less transactions. The marketplace requires, um, it's a skill-based market, right? We came from an order-taking market. Yes. Lead, lead, you know, the old market, lead comes in, they want to see a house, you show them the house, you sell them the house. This market requires conversation. It requires understanding of the, of the kind of things we're talking about. It requires perspective and experience so that you can guide somebody. Um, it requires empathy. And it's, it's let's, we, we, let's call it a skill-based market with a far fewer transactions available for a bunch of real estate agents. Now, loads of real estate agents have already left the industry. Yeah. But there are still, you know, San Diego will always have far more agents than transactions. Always. 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 3.7 transactions per agent. 
that's the it. average. That's the average in San Diego County. Per year. Per year. Wow. Um, okay, so then the um, – so basically – and this happens, right? This is like a cycle. You, this is the cycle that you call it, right? Like the real estate cycle where this happens where all the real agents will flood because it's so easy. They're order takers, and then all of a sudden they'll get weeded out again, mm-hmm. right? The strong survive, so to speak. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's it. And then – so interest rates, we're, what, in the sixes right now, did you say? Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's all kinds of programs, right? Yeah, is right, it right, jumbo? Right, is it this? Right. Is it VA? Is it? But just for a vanilla 30-year fixed conforming mortgage, yes. Okay. And so your prediction on how long the window is for this, let's call it the average buyer, right? That can get qualified with 15, 20% down roughly, give or take. What's the window looking like, you think? I mean. <coughs> six months? June to August. That's it? Something like that. Yeah. And then your prediction is the interest rates will start. When you just look at the CPI charts and what the numbers that'll come off. Yeah. And as long as we're log, uh, the numbers that will come off and as long as we're logging decent numbers, like the ones we've been logging, um, if a recession is announced, which will put further downward pressure on those interest rates, that all, June, August is my best guess. I mean, I, I, if I, if I, I, if I, if there was a Vegas bet available that I could go get a low five percent rate on like a vanilla twenty percent down thirty year mortgage, conforming loan amount, I would definitely take the bet that my window closes prior to August. Prior to August, or excuse me, <coughs> let's be more clear that those rates show up prior to August, which means the market accelerates in activity, Yeah, which means it's now getting harder for me to get back in and prices are pushing up. And so when do you think that they're going to announce like this? So they, they haven't officially announced our recession. Mm-mm. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know enough to tell you when they're going to do that. I'm not. But you think it's for sure going to happen? Yeah. If you look at like, I mean, if, if, you, if you're a believer of, in patterns, you know, if you look at the inverted yield curve, for example, show me the last time we had an inverted yield curve that didn't quickly, that was not quickly followed by an official recession. Yeah. Every single time. I mean, every time. Every single time. Every time. Every and, single time. Every single time. And it's not just inverted right now. It's wildly inverted, right? So you're getting... It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, you can go, you, I believe the six month treasury note right now is at 5%, just over 5% that it'll pay. And if you go get a, if you go look at the, and the 10 year, the 10 years, I get 3.7. Yep. The 20 years, I got 3.6, something like that. So it should be the opposite, right? So it's, it's, it's massively inverted and there's never not been a recession when we're in this environment. And uh, so, but would you say right now, even though they haven't quote unquote announced one, that we are actually in a recession? That's the magic question everybody asks. I want to say yes, only because of everybody that I follow and listen to and the, you know, the things I, the people I I read and so on. So I I, I would say yes, I'm not, I'm not qualified to explain how or why or so on. You see all the announcements of all the layoffs that we're seeing constantly on the news now from big companies, big companies, layoffs, all that. I mean, I hadn't seen that since the great recession. 
Yeah. Um, Tons from all the big companies. A lot of that is happening. So it, it, it certainly feels like we're there. Yeah. But, you know, it always gets announced after the fact. So when you're in it, you don't know it until you've been in it. Yep. For at least a quarter. All right. So we'll find out, or at least two quarters, because they define it as two quarters consecutive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So, Dan, we're going to land the plane here. You ready? Here's what I want you to finish on. I'm actually kind of backtrack um, to uh, something we alluded on very early in the conversation when we got off on a little bit of a tangent. A tangent that I liked was we talked about the programming, right? We talked about how people are, you know, stuck in their, you know, don't step out here. So give me, finish with a couple of pearls from Dan Beer to the people right now that are, they know they're conforming. They know that they're living a life that's not, uh, let's say, authentic to who they were designed to be. They're not living their dream life. Do you know what I'm saying? I, and I ask this question to a lot of people, like, if you're living the dream, you, the life that you always dreamed of right now, if you're living that life, then do everything right now that you've been doing. Continue to do it the way you've been doing it. If not then you gotta change the way you're doing things. The decisions that you're making must change. Your mindset must change. Give me some pearls on people right now that are not living their dream and we need to give them a little bit of a spark and some <clears throat> some inspiration to step outside the norm and to go for it. You know, I, I think people like that, it's, For me, it's, um, I get, you know, it sounds cliched almost, but I genuinely do get more, like it scares me a lot more to not do certain yeah. things than to do them. You know, I talk about climbing Everest, for example, and like it scares me more to leave this planet not having seen the thing than to take the you know calculated risks of what it will be to be out there and to climb that. And so, you know, I don't know, man. I think if you... What it makes me think about is as a dad, one of the greatest gifts that I've gotten is... I always thought I, I always thought I would have really strong ideas about what my kids should be doing. Okay, so oh my my son will be in business and he'll play football and he'll you know just be, and we always want it to be exactly like our lives, like right. our lives were the only right life possible. Yeah. And one of the great things where I'm like, hey, I might be a good dad, like like, like okay, and it's okay by the way to think good things about yourself like that. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, I might I'm proud of myself right now. I think I I, I think I'm. Uh, this feels like I'm being a good dad is when I genuinely, I'm like, man, I don't care what this kid does. Like if he wants to be a chef or a dancer, or uh, I'm just trying to come up with things like totally opposite, right? Of right yeah. Football player, business guy. Yeah. Then I'd be all freaking for it. I'll be, it, why would I be for it? I'd be for it because what I'm picturing is this spark is this smile, this happiness, like that, that, this, um, like just really in supporting him 
and being quote unquote anything he wants to be. But I mean, by the way, we're going to be really good dancer and really good chef, and we're going to get up early and go and crush it and do more than the others, and we're going to be best in the world. That if you want to go be best in the world and you want to be, uh, whatever man you name yeah. like some some off the wall occupation i am 100 percent for it but i guess if you would if you're listening to that and you feel if you're listening to that and you're like man that's yeah i agree like i would i feel the same way the question is just then why are we not treating ourselves like why would you not treat yourself the same mm. way right like I, I always talk about like realtors for example I talk about how realtors are the rudest, most just, um, they're just like, they're just like the, what's the word I always use? I would say that they're just the, whatever, I'll go with the rudest, like just the rudest, worst, inconsiderate people on the planet to themselves. Mm. And why to themselves? Not so most people are like, yeah, realtors suck. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is that person, if they had an appointment with someone to be somewhere at three, they'd be there. That person, if they said, Hey, I'm gonna do this for you, they would do it. But when they set appointments with themselves mm. To do their prospecting, to do their work, their you know the things that they need to do, the appointments with them, they break those appointments with themselves. In the bigger picture, um, why don't, you should you should be able to look down on yourself with that same sparkle as if you were looking at your kid doing the thing they were intended to do and like living their true self, right, their authentic life. You should be able to, like, the way you would feel and the sparkle in your eye as you look at your kid, like, that's how you should be. You should be able to look down on yourself the same exact way. Like, I I will, this might sound stupid, but I, I, I'm, I could be climbing a mountain on the side of, like, a 70-degree pitch on ice, like, clinging to it with my little ice axe and my crampons and literally, like, smile down on myself like man look at you look what you're doing it's awesome right so if 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 that all sounds foreign you need to go grab a check called you know it's you need to make a change i don't have a pearl like packaged up for you and some kind of a little packaged up saying but it's um you know just like it scares me not to to leave this planet and not having seen everest because that's important to me you don't need to see it yeah but that's important to me then it should it should scare you to leave the planet not having looked at yourself with that sparkle right yep. in your own eye onto yourself and and um i wasn't going to ask that question this way because i don't ask everybody this question in fact i don't ask anybody really that it's, question it's a lot of pressure to have to come up with a pearl but bro in the moment let me tell you something dan that was the most unique way that i've ever heard that put and that was fantastic <laughs> i got goosebumps i'm getting chills over here bro because I thought about the way that we look at our children and we say, I'm just going to let this kid be whatever he or she wants to be, the sparkle in their eye, because kids just love life. They don't know all the crap that we know, all the stress, all the grinding and the cash flow. and the They're just loving life. I'm just summing up what you just said. Mm-hmm. Why can't we look at ourselves that way? 
and give ourselves permission, right? Absolutely. To do whatever we want to do and live out to who we were designed to be and to live the life of our dreams. Because life is supposed to be beautiful. Dan, that was so well put, bro. Nice job, man. Thank you, man. This was fun. Dan Beer, Real Deal Talk. That's a wrap. Uh, Dude, that was amazing. (laughs) Welcome to 